This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Martha and the Vandellas. 
Let's face it, we keep the music going here, entertainment, all weekend long at WABC. We don't miss a beat, whether it was from uh, Vinnie Madugno or his mentor, Cousin Brucey, and then Tony Orlando without Dawn. No, 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 you don't miss a beat because we conflate the music with the subject matter. And the subject matter we're getting right into, Broadway Billy on loan from... WCBS-FM uh, with his partner, Joe Carsey. And, of course, Avery, our nighttime producer and phone screener who has once again come up with the funniest hour in all of radio. And you'll be able to listen to between 4 or 5. That's why we're going to take you to the break of dawn. Nobody's going to sleep. Nobody. Because we're going to be talking about exposed breasts, naked bodies, and the party of the century at the White House, which was loud and proud for Pride Month. The United States President Joe Biden had held a rainbow party at the White House on the occasion of Pride Month to express his administration's support for the LGBTQ plus community. However, it ended up turning into a bizarre dormitory party. As he roamed about, there were a group of uh, transgenders and others. We couldn't quite figure out if they were non-binary if they were transvestites, cross-dressers, transgenders, transformers, whatever. But it was almost, as described by some who were there, a bizarre and crude college party. And all of a sudden, the person who figured and dominated this in the videos that went viral was a self-described transgender influencer Isn't everybody an influencer nowadays, right? We'll get to Dylan Mulvaney later, the Instagram uh, influencer. But everybody is a self-described influencer. Although in this case, it was Ron... Rose Montoya. Montoya. Rose Montoya. Rose Montoya. Rose Montoya. Rose Montoya. Originally, apparently, born in a very rural area of Idaho, Wyoming, who knows, somewhere out there in the middle of nowhere America. Her father was a holy roller, an extreme uh, religious person. And uh, she knew at an early age that he was a she, was a they, and had gone on a very complex journey to achieve status as a transgender influencer, a transgender model. I don't know what the hell that means, but hey, I guess if it's something you want to accomplish in your life, Rose Montoya has done it, except now she is banned, not in the USA, banned at the White House. So if I can correctly guide all of you, ladies and gentlemen, because you've seen the video over and over and over, the transgender model Rose Montoya. First politely shook hands with the President of the United States and thanked him for the cordial invitation. Then she felt so at home 
that she threw off the textile showing her naked, operated upper body. Oh, my God. People were outraged by the scenes that succeeded in all of a sudden going viral. Oh, boy. Some remarked, this is so disgusting and disrespectful of our nation, shameful, but not surprising. One woman wrote, I'm sorry, but it's impossible to take America seriously when transgender women are showing their breasts on the White House lawn. Joe Biden has made our country an international joke. Meantime, Joe Biden's decision is probably already a part of his reelection campaign because the Democratic uh, plan is to try to lure left-wing youth to the bowling booths, the polling booths, trying to divert attention from the country's real problems by embracing these cultural wars, as we see DeSantis on the right do, and now increasingly Joe Biden and his supporters do. So this first hour is going to be devoted to a woman who was of no consequence to any of us, Rose Montoya, until she decided to show us what artificial breasts look like on the White House front lawn. And uh, I know that you, uh, Broadway Billy, were ensconced. You were titillated. You were excited. In fact, you were sharing the the viral video with your... um, your partner, Joe Causey, over at WCBS-FM, and he was having his Viagra moment. Oh, my God. You were turgid. You weren't flaccid. Until you found out that anatomically, Rose Montoyo still was packing a three-piece set. Then, all of a sudden, Broadway Bill Lee was like, out of his mind, Avery... Pastor Boy uh, tried to avoid looking at any of the uh, videos that floated out there so that he could be safe and secure in the sanctity of his uh, Black Baptist Church on Sunday in a few hours. That's right. Preacher Boy Avery will uh, be attending his church services. Yo, are we talking full exposure or like pasties or like tape over them or something? No pasties. Full exposure. <laughs> Showing you what modern medical uh, achievements have accomplished in this world. That you could be born a male, and yet with this right slice and dice, you could entice a man who has not experienced a woman in a month of Sundays. This has happened before, you know, many times around the world, American servicemen and others, businessmen, while on travel. Have gone to the local gin mills. You probably have experienced this, Broadway Billy, back in the 70s and 80s at a time when cocaine flourished and you couldn't tell if it was a man, woman, or frozen vegetable. And possibly you didn't even care, Broadway Billy, at that moment. You were so so desperate for love in all the wrong places. Come on a minute, Broadway Billy. You got a chance to go to the decadent debaucherous Studio 54. I did not. Because I was considered too BQE-ish. Very good. I had to settle on the pastels, disco, 
and 2001 Odyssey in Bay Ridge. All out crazy. Yeah, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But this Rose Montoyo has stolen the thunder of the transgender world. I would like you to uh, listen briefly. I'm not at liberty to play for you all the audio. The FCC would knock us off the airwaves of Roy's... Can't even say this transgender's name. It's like, it's got me nauseous. My, my, my. Rose Montoya is on the front lawn of the White House, surrounded by other uh, transgenders and supporters of LBGTQ+. And this is what she had to say as she was exposing a brand new mammary glands. Are we topless at the White House? Are we topless at the White House? Topless at the White House? Are we topless at the White House? He certainly was. The next stage was to go bottomless, but she could not do that because she was packing a knife, a spoon, and a fork. What I would like to do is play for you an apology that Rose Montoyo, probably now more famous, infamous than uh, Dylan Mulvaney, the Bush light uh, transgender. She describes herself as a transgender influencer. I don't know what that means. She has been banned from the White House as Lenny Bruce was banned from the comedy stages often and threatened with arrest for saying things that were verboten and forbidden. We remember what George Carlin did on that stage on the Upper West Side when he gave to us here in radio and our sister uh, um, vehicle of communication TV the seven words that we could not say. Right, Broadway Billy? That's why your finger... It's right on the dump button to save me from getting fired so that I can continue to pay my child support. Oh, that's right. It's Father's Day. What are these kids going to want to shake me down for? That, that, that's what I want. It's supposed to be a holiday for fathers, right? You'd never know that from your kids. <sighs> daddy, 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 can I have this, can I have this, can I... I thought it's Father's Day. Aren't you supposed to be giving to me? I mean, I gift you every two weeks. All the money goes into the bank. <laughs> and then within seconds, <laughs> it leaves the bank. Well, I got a chance to at least see the numbers increase uh, for, what, 25 seconds? And Avery, Avery will be... Uh, very attentive before his holy role of pastor in his Black Baptist Church. And your pastor will probably be uh, in vintage form talking about decadence, hedonism, debauchery, and how it would be a sin, as Jimmy Carter would say. Still in hospice. Boy, this guy's really holding on in Plains, Georgia. A sin to even think about having sex outside of marriage. The first evangelical president was not a Republican. No. It was Jimmy Carter. And I am assembling a jury here of all of our listeners in 38 states and parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, right on down to Davy Jones's locker. 
And we will put Rose Montoyo, transgender influencer extraordinaire, transgender model. We will listen to her apology that she made for the President of the United States, Madam First Lady, members of the administration, and obviously for all of you because she would like to have more followers on her Instagram page, like Dylan Mulvaney. They're in competition. And they're both packing a three-piece set. This is the most amazing thing. They have the plumbing of a guy. I was walking around and everyone was staring. And I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And they were all staring directly at my crotch. And I went, oh, I forgot that my crotch doesn't look like other women's crotches sometimes because mine doesn't look like a little Barbie pocket. Peekaboo, I see you. Tajay has lost billions of dollars because of that, you know, a little bit of that uh, crotch pouch uh, attached to the bathing suits that the little kitty poos had access to. Oh, that was it. Billions lost. Bud Light used to be the top beer in America. Man, old Milwaukee sells more now than Bud Light. <laughs> old Milwaukee. And let me tell you, that is as bad a beer as you can drink. God, it'll eat up your intestines. Oh, Milwaukee. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we've been tasked to do. Slowly but surely, step by step, we will listen to the apology. We will dissect it and bisect it. I would like you, Avery, to weigh in on this because you're more of a uh, religious person than I am. I mean, I've had my bouts of hedonism, decadence, debauchery over the years. But you apparently have uh, avoided falling into that hedonistic abyss. So I would certainly like your point of view on this. Rose Montoyo, they're going to make a song. And remember... Two life crew banned in the USA, right? Banned from the White House. She's going to wear it like a pasty, a badge of courage. See, from now on, she'll say, if I'm ever able to come to the White House garden again, I promise you I'll be wearing pasties like uh, like strippers. Remember, strippers of all. Guys would go and watch them strip and get all excited. But they wouldn't show you a shot of leg. No, no, a little bit, a little bit. But they wouldn't give away everything. Not like the transgender influencer. Why am I calling her a transgender influencer? How do I know she's influenced anybody to get the same surgery, right? She's had a little bit of a nip and a tuck, and all of a sudden she has uh, boobies, uh, bamboozies, uh, whatever you want to call it. But we have to determine... In this great forum of ours, many of you listening with the modern technology of the app on your smartphone and your iPhone. And by the way, you must teach your parents and grandparents, if they're still with us, how to operate that. I I, I cannot forget the uh, lecture that I received from Chad Lopez, our capital D2T of Red Apple Media, our parent company. When he said that he was at a recent uh, birthday party for Jersey Joe Piscopo, I noticed I wasn't invited. Uh, Because he was probably in Hoboken, and he didn't want me to disparage Frank Sinatra, that I always do. But I digress. 
Apparently, Hoboken Mary was there and inquired how she could be listening to WABC on a regular basis when she was taking the shuttle back and forth to Frank Morano's favorite playground, Atlantic City. He shoots craps at the Borgata, and she uh, plays the slots at the Trop. And Chad immediately took her smartphone and said, give me a second, and showed her how to download the app. It is so easy, and you can hear it crystal clear all over the world, except not. No, no, not in Antarctica. We have empirical uh, information now that the um, the walruses and the penguins are not able to hear, hear uh, WABC on the ice flow, even though it is a continent. It is landmass, not like the North Pole that is melting away. There's no land underneath. But on the continent of Antarctica, no, Broadway Billy, you cannot hear WABC. But everywhere else you can, streaming on the laptop, streaming on your worktop computer, it is a global entity. And we want all of you out there, the international community, to make a determination as to whether Rosemont Tanya is uh, Gypsy Rose Lee. Right? A stripper, right? Gypsy Rose Lee, if I remember correctly. Hey, Broadway Billy, that was in your time. Was Gypsy Rose Lee the famous stripper who would come out on the stage on the block in Baltimore where you had so many strip clubs and take away uh, some of her clothing apparel but not the complete apparel? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Or is she like Tokyo Rose, Utreditor, who tried to lure Americans out of their foxholes in World War II as they were embedded before the major charge into Okinawa? And she would promise them all kinds of personal satisfactions from comfort women, they called them at that time, Geisha girls, comfort women, if they would give themselves up to General Tojo, to Admiral Yamamoto, and to the, uh, the emperor. And they would be showered with pleasure. Remember the broadcast of Tokyo Rose? That was during your time, Broadway building. And, of course, now we have Rose Montoya. Could we now begin to play the apology Broadway Bill Lee. She starts first by saying that she apologizes for flashing her boobies, false as they are, artificial as they are, made out of styrofoam, implanted as they are into what was a flat chest, a male chest, which I still haven't quite figured out. You got your three-piece set, you got your male plumbing, but you look up, and the styrofoam is protruding. Used to be that you'd have a Playtex bra on, right, and you'd stuff it with Kleenex. Oh, no, now you have to have the real McCoy. Let's see if this apology by Rose Montoya flies. Today I need to apologize. Earlier this month, I was invited by the White House to attend a Pride celebration with both President Biden and Dr. Biden. I, alongside other powerful voices in the queer and trans communities, 
were invited to be represented, seen, and heard in unique and a very special way. Hmm. I don't think she would cut it as a burlesque entertainer like Gypsy Rose Lee. I don't think she could do a striptease act that would do justice to Gypsy Rose Lee. For a generation of men, the greatest generation, as they were called, the World War II generation, Gypsy Rose Lee was the kind of woman you wouldn't take home to mommy. She was the type you would keep as a home slice on the side, a gumar. Or as some would call out there, a putar. But apparently she was quite the entertainer. In great demand from strip clubs in Miami Beach, as I mentioned, the block in Baltimore, Times Square. Wherever she appeared, she would just show enough of a shot of leg to excite and titillate, but would not give away the full package. No, that was the art of burlesque. And I believe in having watched this video of Rosa Montoya, that a burlesque queen, she's not. A Gypsy Rose Lee, she's not. I can't say that I knew Gypsy Rose Lee. I just watched some of the old black and white video, and let's face it, like Mae West, very appealing, very titillating. Mae West was uh, soft sick, uh, quite a large woman, but very sexual, who used to actually entertain in the section of Canarsie down by the pier called Golden Gate. It was a red light district. You wouldn't know that, Broadway Billy. They did not allow Morenos there. No, blacks need not go there. But apparently, according to the old timers, Mae West was very enticing, and uh, right near the Paddockie Basin would oftentimes pleasurize some Johns. No, I'm not saying that she went that way because she became quite the film starlet. But apparently, uh, a working girl had to work. So from A West to uh, Gypsy Rosalie to now, oh, my God, not ready for primetime or Ted Mack's original amateur hour as a stripper, as a burlesque queen, Rose Montoya. I did not. Can I hear that, that first attempt at an apology again? I really didn't like what I heard. She sounded like. The drag queen, uh, Congressman George Santos. She really did. Listen, listen. Today, I need to apologize. Earlier this month, I was invited by the White House to attend a pride celebration with both President Biden and Dr. Biden. I, alongside other powerful voices in the queer and trans communities, were invited to be represented, seen, and heard in unique and a very special way. Uh, Avery, are you uh, accepting the apology so far? Do you think it was sincere? I have no comments for you guys. Uh, Avery is dwelling on that. He's getting quite excited, I could see. Remember the sin of flesh. Remember the Ten Commandments, Avery. I need need to prepare you for your pastor's sermon at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. And then, 
she went into her, I don't know what to call it other than a alf, an alphabet soup routine. It's sort of like, uh, remember the uh, breakfast cereal alphabets? Listen to this, and it is mind-boggling. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans violence and legislation runs rampant across our country, I was proud to be invited to speak at the National Press Club during my trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, I need a translation. I am not a trans expert, a transvestite expert, a cross-dressing expert, a transformer expert. If there are anyone out there, is there's anyone out there in our vast audience who can interpret what this non-binary person has said, please, can we play that again? Uh, Broadway Bill Lee, I could not understand anything in terms of what she was initially saying. Could you could you play that again, Bill Lee? Billy, Billy's so excited. Play it again. Oh my God, are you? Are As anti two S LGBTQPIA plus, especially anti trans violence. Stop it right there. What the hell was that? <laughs> are you pleasurizing yourself, Billy? My God. Get control of yourself. You're watching the video. How uncouth of you. How unprofessional. I want to hear that again because her mouth is moving so fast. I can't even understand what the hell was dripping from her lips. Let me hear that again. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans violence and legislation. Hold on a second. I'm going to need somebody to translate the hieroglyphics there. I don't know if she was on speed or meth when she was speaking. Man, so fast. You know what it is? From a marketing point of view, there are just too many letters. You know, if you went to marketing experts, they would say, hey, baby doll. Why the hell would I call her baby doll? Uh, You got to knock off all those letters. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Audience, help me with this. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. What As it? anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially. Hold on a second. Boy, that's uh, that's like a $5 word there, man. That's multi-syllabic. Uh, that's beyond my ability. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+. Enough! She doesn't get an A+. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Help me, audience. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Connie Francis, Rose Montoyo, wherever you are, transgender influencer. You said you were sorry for flashing your boobies at the president, uh, Joe Biden, who had a virtual coronary attack. Although you saw how he reached out to touch the mammary glands of that uh, female actress who briefly was married to the basketball player, Tony Parker. He, he wouldn't let go of her. She had to take his hand off her breast. Dirty old man. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's go back to the apology. I have truncated it. I am being told that I have not been fair. 
and that this is an FCC rule violation. So let's go back to Rose Montoya's apology in which she said she had a quick moment of transgender joy. You think you could get that, Broadway Billy, instead of watching her video over and over and self-pleasurizing yourself? In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy, I decided to do something unbecoming of a guest of the president at the White House lawn celebration. What the hell is trans joy? I mean, come on. Anyway, she goes on and says she realizes how much influence she really has over all of you. More so than ever before, I have learned how powerful and just how impactful my actions are and how impactful it is when we share our stories and experiences and how we do so with the world. What the hell is she talking about? This self-importance is nonsense. And then she gets down on wounded knee and apologizes, of course, to black transgenders i especially want to apologize to my black trans brothers and siblings especially transgender women who are black because i understand that you all are constantly at a disproportionate level impacted by the actions of others and especially by anti-trans violence what the hell you're not subject to anti-trans violence you're latina Is it only black transgenders? Wow, this is freaky deaky, man. I may never recover from this. And you, you, Broadway Billy, you're looking at the bazoonies a little too much on that video. And then this transgender self-described influencer, Rose Montoya, goes back to her alphabet soup. I'm trying to figure out what the hell she's talking about i would also like to apologize to my own community the 2s lgbtqpia plus community what the what the hell is that did you play that one more time i'd like to know what community in fact that is i've never heard of a community I would also like to apologize to my own community the 2s lgbtqpia plus community that lady, just slow it down. It's like she's on speed. And then she is most excited like Broadway Billy now is, who has met the woman of his dreams, excited to educate all of you on this trans joy of hers. God, look at this. Broadway Billy, would you focus on the program? Avery, he's looking at the video over and over. You're going to go blind. You know what happens? You go blind. Either that or you're going to get cataracts. Sheesh. I also feel energized to educate and articulate to others the importance and power of trans joy in a more effective way. What is that trans joy? I'm Broadway Billy, you seem to be having trans joy now. And then she has the gold, the chutzpah, the coolions. Yes, she still has a uh, three-piece set. To ask that we respect her privacy, her privacy. 
please respect mine, my family's, my friends, and my loved one's privacy during this time. Privacy? You are flashing yourself on the White House lawn. That's not exactly private. Right? <laughs> you're an exhibitionist. Yes, you're on, Avery. You're on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she respect her own privacy. She, was, she can respect her privacy, but, you know, everybody else, you know, they're not going to do it. We had to be exposed to that lascivious action of hers on the White House lawn in which the president was, like, mesmerized. Couldn't take his eyes off her bazoonies. Anyway, here she goes again with her alphabet soup loop. 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA QPIA LGBTQ Do all be petty, special sauce, petty cheese, pickles, onions, onions, sesame seed bun. Is that what she was saying? The uh, Big Mac? Uh, I, I, I have no idea what that woman is saying. Well, you, it's, it's, it's gotten long. They keep adding those letters. You got to get it out of the way before you even talk. I know every day it's a new letter. Yeah. 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA QPIA LGBTQ. Yeah, you gotta get that out of the way first, and then you gotta then and then you talk. Well, wait a second. I think uh, you, uh, Broadway Billy, in your excitement, you truncated the McDonald's formula for the Big Mac. You know that was the most important one, and you have really deprived me of something over the years when I was a McDonald's night manager and started the Guardian Angels at East Fordham and Webster in 1979. That was like my smelling sauce. Play the whole thing again and don't truncate it. 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA plus 2S LGBTQ PIA QPIA LGBTQ. Do all be petty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, onions, sesame seed bun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then finally, let's try to slow it down. Maybe if Broadway Bill Lee, through your use of the dyschronificator, you can uh, slow it down. Maybe we can hear the nuances of what the hell she's saying. To us, LGBTQPIA+. Sounds like she's taking a quaalude, doesn't it? To us, LGBTQPIA+. I remember those days at the discos. Some real women would actually pop a quaalude and talk just like that. One more time, please. To us, LGBTQPIA+. Oh, my God. To us, LGBTQPIA+. To us, LGBTQPIA+. <laughs> she says to us, to us, LTBG, to us, all LTBGQ, whatever plus. Please respect mine. Yeah, we'll respect yours. Please stop flashing your boobies. And by the way, to us, LGBTQPIA plus. That always works too when you when you ask the president to respect your privacy. They always back off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here it is. You go on the lawn of the White House. You go butt naked, and now we're expected to uh, adhere to your demands that we respect your privacy, your privacy. Yeah, Yeah, that always works. This woman is crazy. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. I can see Broadway Bill Lee's eyes are glazed over with trans joy.
This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is the song from the White House to Rose Montoya. Don't come around here no more. Whatever you're looking for. Hey! Don't come around here no more. LSLGBTQ PIA plus. Come around anymore to the White House. Nope. Can't come around anymore flashing your bazoonies. Can't do that. No more. Stripped of her pride badge, she has now been relegated to going to clubs and performing as a trans influence or whatever the hell that means. Oh, the pain of it all. The pain of it all. Give up that three-piece set for you to be completely uh, reshaped, reformed into a femme fatale. But as long as you have that knife, that spoon, and fork, you will never, ever experience the bliss of estrogen. To us, LGBTQPIA+. Instead, you will have to accept trans joy. 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+. Uh, uh, oh boy, joy in the form of being a transgender. I never thought in my life that there would be joy in being a transgender. I mean, people making fun of you confronting you, threatening you. This happens all the time. I never knew. Maybe, just maybe, in my double midlife crisis, I too, Curtis Sliwa, not. I also feel energized to educate and articulate to others the importance and power of trans joy in a more effective way. It's okay. Uh, I'll pass on that. Let's go to uh, Steve in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Steve. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Great show. Listen, uh, 
I just really want to quickly tell you, Sid in the morning has nothing over you and Dominic. Use a one and two in my book. On top of all that, these transgenders, there's not enough medication in the world to take uh, to do whatever they have to do to, to, to control these people. They're, they're literally out of their minds. Now, hold on and a I second. Hold on a second. I, I am here I, to defend trans joy. I remember as a youth going to the candy store and getting my first Almond Joy bar. Do you remember that Almond Joy bar? Oh, it was so good. Almond Joy, Mounds. I mean, it was different than any other candy. I wonder if that put me on the road to what Rose Montoyo is talking about, Trans Joy. I also feel energized to educate and articulate to others the importance and power of Trans Joy in a more effective way. I wonder if you preferred, ladies and gentlemen, when you were a young whippersnapper, not sure of your sexual identity, because let's face it, kids can be a little confused. Did you prefer the Almond Joy bar or the Mounds bar? Get it? Mounds? A Mounds? No, that went right over your head. <laughs> what is that mound doing on your chest, Philip? Oh, God. In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy, I decided to do something unbecoming of a guest of the president. I want my almond joy. I don't want trans joy. Oh, I lust for an almond joy. How good that candy was. I forgot. Almond joy. It was a Hershey product. Remember Hershey, Pennsylvania? Although, you go to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and there would be Rose Montoyo, the trans influencer, probably wanting, giving you some of those kisses, you know? In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy. No, no. The joy of almond joy was the sweetened, shredded coconut topping with whole almonds and covered in chocolate candy. Oh, God, that brought me great almond joy. I guess because I'm 69, I will never experience trans joy in my lifetime. Leading an overwhelming trans joy. Just think of it on my epitaph. In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy. Just think on my tombstone where it says R.I.P. Here lies a man that never experienced trans joy. Thank God. Thank God. Anyway, let's go to Robert in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis. Good to hear you. You know, you only need two letters, man. FM. You can expand the definition. That's true. You know you that's, can add. that's true. You could say, yeah, well, yeah. You could, you could say, freak manifestation. Yes, freakish manifestations would apply here. That is correct. So let me get this right, Robert FM, freaking morons, feeble-minded, freakish manifestations, freakish manifestations, free marijuana. 
and the freak of all freaks, Frank Morano. 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+, 2S LGBTQPIA+, QPIA+, LGBTQ... Do all be petty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, onions, sesame seed, bun. Yeah, it is, uh... I'm not accepting that apology. I'm sorry, Rose Montoya, trans-influencer, banned from the White House... Like two live crew singing band in the USA. I will not accept that apology. I feel it was a bit patronizing. It was uh, too simplistic. And I couldn't uh, at times understand what the hell you were talking about. But up next, our beloved baseball. Mike Umpadicic, Rudy Giuliani. And uh, that debacle that took place... Last night at Chavez Ravine, uh, Dodger Stadium in L.A., where they held this ceremony an hour before the game, and nobody was in the stadium to observe the perpetual nuns of indulgence or whatever they call themselves being honored for their humanitarian work. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Check this out. On the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. In 81, the dream came true. He showed the birds what he could do. Then he became the rookie of the year. Each and every day, number eight showed up to play. Wearing only an Oriole uniform for the rest of his career. Talking baseball. Each year, the legend grew. Playing baseball. It's what he was born to do. In Baltimore, he never let him down. In 83, he led them to the crown, playing baseball on his way to Cooperstown. Excellence was Ripken's aim, consistency's his middle name, another MVP along the way. Silver sluggers, gloves of gold, 3,000 hits unfold, a credit to baseball, what more can we say? I'm talking Each year the legend grew, playing baseball. It's what he was born to do. He moved to third and still he would astound. Charm City's man of great renown, playing baseball on his way to Cooperstown. Ah, what a great song by Terry Cashman. Let me hear it. He was a shining star. 
times of genius, times of skill, times beside his brother Bill, always giving everything he had the way he learned it from his dad. The Iron Man would reach the peak. He passed Lou Gehrig's streak. Millions watched as Cal shook every hand. What a picture! What a scene! Love was filling up the screen. And you can bet we'll never forget a moment so grand. I'm talking baseball. Cal Ripken, we'll remember playing baseball from April to September. It didn't take him long to get the call. Joining all the other greats of Baltimore. Talking baseball. Cal Ripken's in the hall. I hated Cal Ripken. What a jerk. Jerky boy. Other than being an Iron Man like Lou Gehrig. I think uh, you could call me the Iron Man of uh, talk radio here, Broadway Bill Lee. I don't take any days off. And as I warn everyone, you know, it was the story of Wally Pip, the Yankee first baseman, quite good at the time. And uh, he had a migraine headache. Who knows if he was in the gin mill too long. He tells his manager he's not going to be able to play that day and manages, don't worry, we got this big kid from Columbia University. Yeah, don't worry, you'll play first base. You get your, you get that migraine together. Come on back tomorrow. Everything will be copacetic. Well, the kid from Columbia was from Washington State. He was a real huckleberry named Lou Gehrig. From that day forward, he played every game and became the Iron Man, followed by Carl, Cal Ripken. But I'm the Iron Man of talk radio. I don't care how bad I may feel. The voice is shot. Uh, the angle to the dangle ain't working. You're not extricating me from this microphone because in the back of my head, if I'm not here, they may all of a sudden find a Lou Gehrig. Although looking around this place, that ain't gonna happen anytime soon. Another MVP along the way. Silver sluggers, gloves of gold, three thousand hits unfold. A credit to baseball. What more can we say? I'm talking baseball. Great song by Terry Cashman. If you haven't heard it in a month of Sundays, you really should play it because it got me back into the mood to where you know, my favorite sport has always been stickball. I was the commissioner of stickball for 20 years. You remember the video of uh, Willie Mays, who was from Alabama, playing stickball not far from the polo grounds in Sugar Hill, right where Washington Heights meets Harlem with the kids. Phenomenal stickball player he was. Just an all-around great athlete, but a jerk. In real life, I met him up in Riverdale. He lived up in Riverdale, not far from the Russian embassy there. Oh, man, what a horrible guy. I never met Joe DiMaggio, you know, Mr. Coffee, uh, the Bowery Savings Bank, but apparently he was a jerky boy, too. But I did meet my baseball hero, Mickey Mantle, and he was the worst turd of all as a human being. Drunk, nasty. I wonder what the hell is so nasty about these guys who are like, iconic figures there was idolatry around them but this uh, song starts off singing about willie mickey and the duke duke schneider played center field for the brooklyn dodgers 
Remember years later, he did that commercial for Grecian Formula. He said, you remember me? Now I'm an avocado grower in California, and I use Grecian Formula. Hey, that's the Duke, my Uncle Ralphie would say. Duke. I said, Duke who? Duke Schneider. He was better than Mickey and Willie. I said, are you out of your mind? That was a great center fielder, but sorry. He couldn't carry Mickey Mantle's jockstrap or Willie Mays' jockstrap. I'll leave it at that. But he was a great center fielder on a great team, the Brooklyn Dodgers, who unfortunately fled to Los Angeles, leaving Ebbets Field, which actually was just a few blocks away from where I went to high school. Yeah, now I'm reminiscing. High school, oh yeah, Brooklyn Prep, the Jesuit High School, right there on Nostrand and Sterling and President. We had a little broken-down baseball field in front. I was the captain of the JV team. I was hitting like 220, couldn't hit the fastball. Throw me a curveball, I could rocket it. So everybody knew, just throw this guy a fastball, he'll never get around on it. And the coach, Coach Duffy, that's right, Coach Duffy, who lived in West New York, of course, the Hudson, in corrupt Hudson County, told us the story about how um, Gil Hodges came over to put on a clinic for the members of the Brooklyn Prep varsity team, obviously, years before that, and hit ball after ball over the roof of the school, which was four stories high, into Bedford Avenue. It's just like a block away. And they said he did it without breaking a sweat. He had hands the size of a baseball glove. And so when he wrapped his hands around that bat, oh, my God, they said he almost, like, grounded down into, like, sawdust. Oh, I'm reminiscing now. You know why I'm also reminiscing Broadway Bill Lee? I hate, I loathe, I despise Sid Rosenberg. He promised me that he was going to make the call Friday morning because I'm with him every Monday through Friday, 7.05. To Chris Salavaro, Brooklyn guy, went to Zavarian, graduated in 92. I know all about this guy. But he is the program director of WFAN. As you know, Carton, the guy who was selling tickets that he didn't have, should have went to jail longer, decided, like everyone else, oh, the lure of TV, I'm going to leave radio. Big mistake. He'll be back in a year. But I left a void. I could have tried out. I mean, I know all about baseball. Well, who did they hire instead? Tiki Barber, great guy. I know Tiki, but he's a football guy. It's like Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. He's a basketball guy. These two guys know nothing about baseball. And I wasn't even given an opportunity to try out, and Sid promised me that. He really did. He lied to me. I love Coldplay. You? Oh, it's not going to be easy today. Won't be easy, but we're going to make it. How do you know? I don't I know about know that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I could, I could see you. So yeah. That's how I know. No, I look great. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I feel great. great but, yes. But I can't talk. It's going to be rough. Where is Curtis? He has to do the show today. He's going to have to do it. Never again. Never again, Sid. Oh my God! He sold me wolf tickets. He said, "You know, I'm not going to go over to the fan." There was a big buzz about him going over to the fan. Hey, look, Sid knows a lot of sports. 
He used to be with Carton. He used to be partners with him. Benigno. Hey, look, I used to listen. I, I love sports. It's a great relief from political talk. But I didn't get a shot. Even though I've done three sports talk shows in my 35 years of existence. Right after your uh, friend, Warner Wolf, Saturday mornings on ESPN Radio, he did uh, 6 to f- six to 10, and then I did 10 to 12. I did Yankee Mets talk. Outstanding ratings. Just asked the general manager, Tim McCarthy, and then the boys from Bristol, they called up. So what the hell you got that guy on for? Hey, Tim, you like raising your family? You like getting a paycheck from ESPN? Tim said, yeah, but that's Curtis, man. He really knows about the Mets and Yankees. Get rid of that guy. He keeps calling the the baseball commissioner, Bud Seeley. He claims he's got a bad rug on his head and he's wearing high waters, which was true. So Tim came to me and he said, I hate to do this, but I got a lot of kids. You know, I'm an Irishman who doesn't believe in birth control. Uh, I can't afford to lose this job. You got to go. What? Fired. And then post-Yankee talk, 1996. Marona Mai, John Sterling, talking forever. And this was uh, time of the World Series. The Yankees were finally back into it, 1996. And then John Sterling was doing the post-game show. We lost game one versus Atlanta. First game at Yankee Stadium, 12-1. Schultz just completely destroyed Pettit. And then it was Jimmy Key, second game, Maddox, beat him 4-1. And I mean Andrew Jones. I had never seen this guy play. He was like the black Mickey Mantle. And he had two home runs. And played a great center field. And then Clipper, uh, Clipper Jones, uh, who was supposed to be the white Mickey Mantle uh, imitation, a Met killer, played a great third base. They were ahead 2 nothing, And I was doing post-Yankee talk on WABC. And you know who called Ted Turner? Half in the bag. Proud that the Braves were two games ahead, going back to Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, where it was assumed they'd win. There was... There was John Sterling and Michael Kay saying, it's over, Yankee fans, it's over. And then Ted Turner called me and said, the South will rise again. And I could smell that bourbon over the microphone. And he actually would call up every night. And people were listening. And it was great. Oh, God. I could do it. Broadway Bill Lee, you know me. It was Mike Francesa, the Pope, the number one sports broadcaster who said down at City Hall after the Yankees went to the the Canyon of Heroes, winning unexpectedly a World Series against the Braves after being down 2-0. And then there were all the sports guys from all over America, and they all queued up there. And Mike said, Curtis deserves a place here. That was some of the best sports broadcasting and commentary ever. And the Pope, Mike Francesa, embraced me. Did I get a shot? No. And then I had to watch what went down at Chavez Ravine, Dodgers Stadium. No Vin Scully anymore. One man uh, broadcaster. That was it. He did the games from beginning to end. He did not have a partner. He did not have relief. What did Vin Scully do when he had to go to the bathroom? Did he wear a catheter? I think he wore a catheter. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Bob Grant, 
the king of talk radio, he used to keep a little bottle underneath the desk because he wouldn't go to the little boy's room between breaks. And, you know, sometimes you had to empty it. He would say, hey, I need you. I need a favor, Curtis. I'd say, what is that yellow stuff in that bottle? He says, apple cider. <laughs> apple cider, my, my tokus. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Cut it out. Yeah, it's okay, Bob. I've revealed all your uh, imperfections. One more is not going to damage your reputation. I think Vince Scully had a catheter on. He never left the broadcast booth. From the opening pitch to the end of the game, there was only one broadcaster in that booth for the L.A. Dodgers. And he originally did it for the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, with Red Barber and a whole host of others. But then it just went down to one guy. And what school, what college did Vince Scully go to, huh? Where did he where did he break in in broadcasting? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But as I was watching a replay of the night's activities in Chavez Ravine, Echo Park is the area in L.A. where the Dodgers play. I love that stadium. Been there one time. I really love that stadium. In fact, I remember it was the... Uh, it's the 63 World Series. Yeah, Broadway Billy, Mickey Mantle was up against Sandy Koufax, and he hit one. Left center field, a monster shot. The Dodgers killed the Yankees there. Frank Howard hit line drives that were still going. Maybe the biggest man that I had ever seen play baseball. Whitey Ford would throw a pitch. Elston Howard would walk away from the catcher spot knowing that Frank Howard was going to hit it out in Monument Circle. And remember, they had Koufax, they had Dries, they, uh, we got killed in that series. A man who hit one out against Koufax, that made it for me. I mean, that was great. In 64, seven games against the Cardinals. I mean, they were hitting home runs. Ken Boyer was the MVP brother of Cleet Boyer, the Yankees' third baseman. Mickey was hitting them. Joe Pepitone was hit. Oh, Mel Stoudemire, who they had brought up from the minor leagues, who saved that season for Yogi Berra, who, uh, by the way, Ed Cranepool has savaged in his uh, autobiography as the Mets manager. Uh, Stoudemire versus Bob Gibson, Game 7, Yankee Stadium. We lost. And it was hell for years after. Hell! They got rid of Yogi, and they brought over... Keen, who was the manager of the Cardinals, and a guy named Burke, who had been a former CIA agent in World War II, represented CBS. They bought the Yankees and almost single-handedly destroyed him. He was the Bill de Blasio of baseball. I mean, single-handedly destroying the Yankees that I love. But I want to take you back to a time in which I wasn't even birthed yet. A date? It was 1951, October 3rd, in the Polo Grounds. It was the shot heard round the world between the two teams that played last night. At the time, not the San Francisco Giants, their parent uh, team, which was the New York Giants, and uh, not the L.A. Dodgers, their parent team, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And this was so exciting. 
because the Giants won 37 of their last 44 games to catch the first-place Dodgers and force a playoff series to decide the NL championship. A three-game series. And it all came down to the shot heard around the world. Ralph Franca on the mound for the Dodgers and Bobby Thompson for the Giants at bat with Willie Mays waiting in the on-deck circle. Think of it, Bobby Thompson, who afterwards showered, answered questions of the scribes, the newspaper reporters, took the subway down to South Ferry, and then the Staten Island Ferry over to Staten Island. He lived on Staten Island, went to Curtis High School, that magnificent school named after me, right there in the North Shore, overlooking uh, New York, the harbor. Yeah, it was named after me, Curtis High School. I tell that to the kids who go there. and Really? Yeah, you're the guy who ran for mayor. You're the guardian angel man. They named this high school after you? I said, do you know any other Curtis? No. It was named after me. But anyway, that was the shot heard around the world. He went home to Staten Island. There was no big boom bar like it is now, you know. ESPN, they play it over and over, although... This particular shot has been played over and over. Ralph Franca, I met years later. He was the father-in-law of Bobby Valentine. You know, a very an enigmatic person. I'll be fair. I like Bobby Valentine. In fact, he ran for mayor of Stanford while I was running for mayor of New York. He lost and I lost. But, um, boy, that was his father-in-law. That was great. And then, of course, Bobby Thompson himself. Trivia question. uh, Does anybody out there know where Bobby Thompson was born and raised? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And those were the days you didn't have to worry about uh, gay pride, gay flags at the stadium, Italian flags or Irish flags or any other kind of flags. It was one flag. Only one flag, and that was the American flag. And boy, has that changed. All of a sudden, baseball, which was devoid of politics, the one thing devoid of politics, baseball, you could just relax. 
You could be a Republican, a Democratic, conservative, a liberal, apolitical, and just enjoy baseball. You can't even do that any longer. You know what I found out years later, uh, Avery? Just like the Houston uh, Astros cheated their way into a World Series victory by stealing signs. Yep. The New York Giants did so well winning all those games in the stretch. 37 games out of 44 because they were stealing signs. And apparently the way they had it, they had a telescope in the Giants clubhouse. Now, it was interesting because the Giants clubhouse was above field-level seats in center field. It was a magnificent-looking building. And the players would run out there at the end of the game. But apparently they had either a coach or a player who would look through the telescope, watch the catcher of the opposing team, give the finger sign to the pitcher on the mound, And then the stolen signs were relayed via a buzzer wire connected from the clubhouse to telephones in the Giants' dugout and bullpen. One buzz for fastball, two for an off-speed pitch. Apparently every hitter knew what was coming. It made a big difference, just like it did for the cheating Houston Astros. And uh, Bobby Thompson never acknowledged that he had gotten a stolen sign that he knew what Ralph Franco was pitching. And Ralph Franco was a man of honor. He never complained. He said, well, if it did happen, you still got to hit it out of the park. You can know what pitch is coming, but you still got to hit it, and Bobby Thompson hit it. That was baseball between the Giants and Dodgers when they were both in New York. Think about it. You could go to Yankee Stadium, which was in the Bronx, right across Bronx River. You take the bridge, you can walk across, and then if you walked into Manhattan on 155th, across the bridge, there was the polo grounds, within walking distance. And then, of course, Ebbets Field in uh, Crown Heights in Brooklyn. And sometimes, in the 50s, it was Yankees versus Giants World Series, Yankees versus Dodgers World Series, and all the other teams figured, hey, don't we get to compete? Those were the glory days. I didn't experience that. Remember, I was birthed in 54. So I think the first time I became aware of that, it was 59, it was 5. The White Sox were playing the Dodgers. I believe they were in L.A. at that time. And I remember Jimmy Fox. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Uh, No, no, it was not Jimmy Fox. Louis Aparicio. Uh, shortstop for the uh, Chicago White Sox. Second base, Nelly Fox. Nelly Fox. Yeah, that's right, Nelly Fox. Minnie Minoso, uh, Burgess, I think Burgess, maybe one of the greatest pinch hitters of all time, Smokey Burgess, although he could barely run. But, boy, every time he'd get up, man, he could hit it. I'm remembering. Yeah, I'm remembering. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the memories. I, I should have had that shot. Boy, am I pissed. Sid promised me. He said, you'll get an audition, a tryout. He sold me wolf tickets. Wait wait till I deal with Sid on Monday at 7.05. He sold me wolf tickets. And Rudy Giuliani came on earlier today to comment what had happened in Chavez Ravine in the wee hours of the moment uh, 
wee hours of the morning here when I was on the air. Remember, they're three hours behind. San Francisco Giants uh, versus the L.A. Dodgers. This was what Rudy had to say. I mean, what are Democrats doing defending perverted groups? They are a group of perverts. That's what they are. Uh, they shouldn't be anywhere near our children. They shouldn't be anywhere near decent people. And to do what they do with the crucifixion, uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ is... Uh, and then he changed the whole premise to, you know, you want the government to stop them. I don't want the government to stop them. I want the American people to stop them. Don't go to Dodger games. You know, I, I, I still cannot understand it. They were honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence an hour before the game started in Chavez Ravine, and nobody was in the stadium. What was the purpose of doing that and all the controversy it created? And I got to ask myself, they have, like, uh, conflated ownership. There's Magic Johnson. His son is openly gay. Uh, Billie Jean King, uh, obviously a lesbian uh, star playing uh, tennis for years. By the way, uh, what sport did her brother play? It's very close to what we're talking about. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And just last year, the vice president of operations for the L.A. Dodgers, a guy named Braverman, was married right there in the pitcher's mound to a man. So they've already made their statements. Why did they have to do something so sacrilegious for a group known as Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence that started in San Francisco? I don't even think they've been honored by the San Francisco Giants at their new stadium downtown where you hit a home run, it goes uh, right out into the bay. Not the old uh, Giants Stadium. Oh, man, is that a nasty place to have a stadium. Willie Mays played and Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, Jim Ray Hart. Oh, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Juan Marichal. Remember Juan Marichal took that bat and hit Johnny Roseboro, the catcher for the Dodgers, right in the head and got suspended from baseball. Remember? It's all pouring out now. It's all pouring out. Candlestick Park. You freeze your took us off out there. Oh, my God. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. <laughs> To be used by a diverse number of groups, including uh, Donald Trump during his campaign stops, but also uh, 
left-wing groups. He believes that it is the right of everyone to use this song, doesn't charge them any residuals. But he is under attack by uh, transgenders because recently he came out and said he agreed with Kiss's Paul Stanley's stance on youths undergoing sex reassignment surgery. Caught a lot of flack. Dee Snyder from Long Island said he's had it with people folding the cancel culture weeks after he drew the ire of trans activists for agreeing with another iconic rocker's criticism about pushing gender ideology on kids. That other rocker was Kisses Paul Stanley. As you know, they've gone on their final tour for the Kiss Army, and then they're hanging up. What is that? Like 89 pounds of gear they all wear when they put on a performance on stage? You see, if you in any way, shape, or form question that a boy or a girl can get transgender surgery, which is not reversible, and the schools don't have to tell the parents, how crazy is that? I mean, think about it. We used to go to Nurse Ratchet, the school nurse, and she'd do triage in her office, remember? Yeah, forget about it. You're not going to the ER. I'll operate on you right here. Hey, get me that knife. Well, we got to cut. We got to cut the leg off. You know, the, the artery is bleeding out. Yeah. They used to do triage in the nurse's office. Then they came up with rules that you couldn't give a St. Joseph's baby aspirin to a student with a headache if you didn't have parental permission or a guardian's permission. A St. Joseph's baby aspirin. Now they have rules here in the state of New York that if a child wants transgender reassignment surgery, they don't have to inform the parents. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? And if you say that that's crazy, you are labeled a homophobe, anti-transgender, transvestite, transformer, whatever the hell it is, anti-LGBT, what, what is that alphabet soup there, uh... What is that alphabet soup that the uh, Rose Montoya was talking about? Yeah, if you say any of that, if you use common sense, the parents have to be the determining factor until a child is 18. All of a sudden, you're not only called a homophobe, uh, suddenly you're prejudiced and anti. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans violence and legislation, runs rampant across our country ah, I was proud up. to be invited what the hell does that have to do I'm anti all of that alphabet soup if I side with parents and say they have parental rights here in New York State now in New York City that's why it's so crazy a child can be convinced that they really are a different gender that they were born a different gender and they could all of a sudden agree and say, yeah, yeah, I want my plumbing changed. And that's irreversible after that. And then hormone blockers and all that stuff at the age of like 8, 9, 10, 12, 13. And the parent is not even to be notified. Is that crazy or what? And then if you stand up and you say it's crazy, they call you a homophobe. They say that you're uh, 
anti the alphabet soup uh, terminology that all of a sudden you're anti every one of these letters that seem to encompass the whole alphabet when talking about gay and lesbians and all of their uh, subsidiaries. As anti-2SLGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans, violence and legislation... All right, enough for that. How crazy is this, ladies and gentlemen? And now D. Schneider is being accused of being homophobic. D. Schneider, who lets his song, We're Not Taking It Anymore, from Twisted Sister, be used by all kinds of groups, doesn't charge any residuals, nothing. No, 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 we can't be, we can't be bullied. We're the mass majority in this country. Mass majority. And you're going to have a few of these people who support transgenders as children dominate the conversation and bully all of you? Hell no. Bud Light, uh, right? Tajay, uh? They're going to have to feel fiscal pain. Anyway, let's go to Gary in Reno, Nevada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis, first of all, God bless you. Second of all, eliminate the enemy of the people you just spoke of. Now, I would like to talk about the baseball you're speaking of, um, which was a great game growing up. I loved going to the games. Um, It's no longer anything that I am interested in following. Can I answer some of the questions that you uh, asked about where Ben Scully and Bobby Thompson and Billie Jean King? Can I answer those questions? Absolutely. You can score the Trinity, the Troika, the trifecta of my trivia requests. And, and I will be I, – I have to – I will – I did look at Bobby Thompson. I think you asked where he was born. Where Scotland. was Billy Thompson, who hit the shot, heard around the world, born? Glasgow, United Kingdom, but I knew the other two. Hold on, hold on, boy. You're talking like you're you're in the pit there, a lead smelting pit in uh, outside of Reno, Nevada. Yes, uh, Bobby Thompson, that is correct, was born in Glasgow, Scotland, which I've actually been to. Have, they have a little subway, a little little mini subway downtown. And they have some problems between the Timmies, they call them Catholics, and the Protestants. The game that they all attend, naturally they don't play baseball. Soccer is their sport. Celtics versus Rangers. Celtics are the Catholics. Rangers are the Protestants. You're absolutely correct on that. Let's see if we can extract any more of the trivia answers first. Let's go to Damien in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Damien. Hey, how you doing, Curtis? Um, I, I didn't hear the other two, but I knew Bobby Thompson was born in uh, Scotland. And uh, when he was young, his parents um, moved to uh, New York, ended up in Staten Island. And he attended Curtis High School, your high school, which is the high school I graduated from. And on, I believe it was the 50th anniversary of Curtis High School, um, they had a uh, celebration and they invited Bobby Thompson and he showed up and um, I met him that day. Did you ask him if 
his team, the New York Giants, was stealing signals from the clubhouse. And, <laughs> and that's how he knew what Ralph Franco was throwing uh, to home plate that he hit out of the park? Uh, I didn't ask him that because I didn't know, but I do know that Willie Mays was in the on-deck circle when he hit uh, the home run. That's right. I mean, there he was to say, hey, kid, he was ready. Boy, can you imagine the excitement? You got Billy Thompson up, who who had uh, a great game prior to that, although had had some miscues on the base paths that cost uh, the Giants uh, some runs. But to know you got Billy Thompson up and then followed by Willie Mays, all the pressure on. I think Sal Magley had started the game, the barber for the Brook, uh, for the uh, Giants, and then I think it was Don Newcomb who started the game for the Dodgers. Or maybe I got it mixed up. But anyway, the point was they bring in the reliever, Ralph Branca, and you know the rest of that story. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a family friend who was a Giants fan was at that game, and all the way through the ninth inning, he was getting razzed. He was like the only Giants fan in a whole group of Dodger fans, and they were taunting him like crazy. He didn't say anything. And then when uh, Bobby Thompson hit the home run, they all shut up. Yeah, but, I mean, excitement like Yeah. uh, imagine who have had three great teams like that, all World Series contenders from year to year, especially the Yankees, and well, playing yep. within walking distance of one another. The rest of the country had to just sit back, suck it up, and keep their fingers crossed that maybe next year they could break through the New York monopoly, which was it was either the Yankees versus the Giants most of the 50s or the Yankees versus the Brooklyn Dodgers in the World Series uh, in the 50s. Well, from 1947 to 1958, I think it was, uh, every year there was at least one New York team in the World Series. That's, that's incredible. And, yeah. you, you know, you talk about back then, uh, far more people took the subways because that was the means of travel. I've I've actually found subway stations uh, that were open near Yankee Stadium that have now been buried. They're no longer open, mm-hmm. but were within walking distance on uh, what would be the side uh, that would be going um, uh, actually south towards New Jersey, buried. You know, uh, and and I've been able to walk in there, and it's like a catacombs, and it's like history. And people will tell you, yeah, millions and millions of people were taking those trains and going back and forth, whether to Ebbets Field, Yankee Stadium, or the Polo Grounds, depending on who was in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Boy, those were uh, the days, there's no doubt about it, Damien. We're on the time machine now. No, it's not. Uh, it's not uh, bizarro. It's the reality of what took place. Let's go to Sammy and Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sammy. Bill, Billy Jean's brother was Randy Moffat. He was a pitcher, right-handed pitcher with the Giants. And um, I don't remember much about him, but the minute you said her, her name and the brother, I knew right away it was Randy Moffat. It came right back to me. It was, as Yogi would say, deja vu all over again. That is correct. I believe her brother was a relief pitcher, if memory serves me correctly. Yep. Yeah, he, you know, I think he was a first-round pick, but 
uh, you know, he didn't really have a great a great career. I think he came up with the Giants just about the tail end of Willie Mays' uh, uh, tenure with the Giants. Uh, another thing, you know, while we're on baseball, I recommend everyone get out there and see this uh, documentary, It Ain't Over, a documentary on Yogi Berra that was uh, produced by his granddaughter. It's with Sony Pictures. It was terrific, and I saw it the other day, and it is just fabulous. Now, I there's, mean, Yogi... There's, there's no doubt. Uh, if I ever get around to it, I want to read the Ed Cranepool autobiography because apparently he... Uh, Savages, Yogi Berra, who had been his manager there, right out Monroe High School, Castle Hill, Eddie Crane. I remember I saw him in Polo Grounds that first year that the uh, the Mets played with Casey Stingle, the manager. They talked about right out of high school, Monroe High School, first time up, boom. He hit a solid line drive single to uh, left field, no, made that right field. And uh, it was against the Cubs. And I believe playing right field at that time for the Cubs was Lou Brock, who eventually uh, a year or two later was traded over to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I believe that. I just remember that after the game, unlike the Yankees, all the Mets were more than happy to sign autographs from me and my cousin Lenny Beans Bianchino. I mean, they were happy that you asked them for autographs because it was such a hapless team in 62 as the Yankees. Oh, God, Mickey, Mickey almost never signed an autograph unless he got paid. Oh, those. I'm, 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 I'm transported on the time machine now. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I have one thing to say. You better work. Did a group of transgenders, sisters of perpetual indulgence, get involved at a major league baseball game where they were being given an honor for humanitarian work? An hour before the Dodgers, a home team at Chavez Ravine, were playing the San Francisco Giants, and nobody was in the stadium. What was the point of that? Because clearly. The ownership management of the Dodgers, who first canceled the idea and then brought it back due to pressure from gays and lesbian organizations, which is crazy. That would be like Republicans supporting the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, uh, or the Democrats supporting Black Lives Matter and Antifa. How the hell would you be supporting these radical transgenders? They're not a part of your community. It's like, hey, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, not a part of the Republican uh, philosophy. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, not part of the Democratic Party philosophy. They have to be rejected. You don't have to embrace them. How crazy was it? You knew that the crowd in Chavez Ravine would boo. Boo loudly. 
Might even have gone over the the fences and tried to get at the sisters sisters of perpetual indulgence. So why didn't you give them the award at the start of the game? Why, L.A. Dodgers, did you decide to do it a full hour before the game when nobody was in the stadium? Nobody. We know why. Because your own fans were going to boo that. Let's go to Jimmy in uh, Glendale, Arizona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Curtis, I called the Dodgers um, maybe two weeks ago when they reintroduced their invitation to these people. And I let them know for whatever it was worth. And the person I talked to was very nice. She allowed me to just speak what I'm going to tell you that I've been to Dodger Stadium first time was probably the mid-60s on what they would have camera days, probably in every major league stadium. The very first game I saw was Ernie Banks with my grandpa all the way till the late 90s. He's long since passed. I let them know when when you're 64 like I am, you don't care much about sports anymore. But growing up, Dodgers, Dodgers were, 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 were my team. I would listen to Ben Scully every night. Five years ago, I flew over from Glendale, Arizona, for Ben Scully weekend for all three games against the Colorado Rockies. And Ben Scully would be turning over in his grave. Everybody would be turning over his grave. The O'Malley's would be turning over their, in their graves for what they did this weekend. They have a marketing marketing director who is a gay man. That is one of the reasons why they reintroduced him to this this weekend. And on top of that, they're getting their comeuppance when the Giants beat them in extra innings last night, or on Friday night, and this this past night they beat them fifteen to nothing. The worst, the worst home defeat. Since 1880, I believe I heard uh, that the Dodgers had at home, Brooklyn or otherwise. It's sickening what sports has become. Well, not only that, but, Jimmy, you follow the game a bit. I don't ever remember the San Francisco Giants. They have a beautiful stadium downtown. You hit a home run, you're hitting it right in at San Francisco Bay. It's gorgeous. A lot of gay and lesbian fans there. Uh, the politics there is pro-transgender. I don't ever remember the San Francisco Giants as a team, as an organization, honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which actually started in San Francisco back in the 70s. I don't ever remember that. You would think that would be the first team that would do that. It, but they don't want to throw it in your face. Um, it, it, it's just sickening what all of this has come to. Um, well, well, you know what it means, Jimmy. We have to stand up against this. This is the radical element of uh, the groups of gays and lesbians that I cannot for the life of me uh, think support this nonsense. Transvestites, transgenders, transformers, whatever you want to call them, dressing up like Catholic nuns, and doing perverse things. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that the bulk of gay and lesbians out there, after striding so hard to gain equality and then eventually 
marriage, would want to toss it all away for a group of transgenders imitating nuns. It's an extreme element of that community. Again, I equate it. You support the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers who invaded the Capitol on January 6th? Absolutely not. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, that rioted, did shooting and looting all through the summer of 2020? Absolutely not. So why the hell would gays and lesbians want to embrace a group like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or the concept that as a child you can get transgender surgery that is irreversible and you don't even have to ask permission of the parents? That is crazy. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77. WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now this one to the kids and to the girl and with the angel face and the devil heart. You know, so rock them off and check out the most new car players come to the little kids. Step up my youth. Hear this. I know this little girl, her name is Maxine. Her beauty's like a bunch of rose. If I ever tell you about Maxine, you only say I don't know what I know. But murder she wrote. Real, real. Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote.
What the hell is he saying there, Avery? I'm sure you can translate. Where is he from? TNT? Trinidad, Tobago? The hell, Barbadian? What, what, what is this? Come on, man. Avery doesn't want to fess up. He doesn't want to do a little translation of dancehall reggae. Guns in the air like you just don't care. Murder, she wrote. Why are we playing this song, Avery? Figure it out. Saturday was the 29th anniversary of a date in which everybody probably remembers exactly where they were and what they were doing. At about 6.45 p.m. It was June 17th of 1994. After being charged with two counts of murder, O.J. Simpson hit the freeway in the backseat of a white Ford Bronco driven by his best friend and former teammate Al Cowley. In a 60-mile low-speed police chase through Los Angeles, that would become one of the most memorable TV moments of the decade. So I first ask, where were you when you heard that O.J. was in this white Ford Bronco going at a very slow rate as it seemed half the Los Angeles Police Department was following? And then the Sheriff's Department. And then every local municipal police department in the immediate area of L.A. County, Pasadena, you name it, they were all following. Where were you and what did you think that this iconic figure who was loved by Madison Avenue, remember the commercials, Avis Hertz, Arnold Palmer, and O.J. Simpson, him running through the airport? I mean, this guy was the all-American guy, O.J. Simpson. And he had been charged with murder. In fact, he had been charged with the murder of his former wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman, in the most savage of ways on June 12th in 1994. So, remember... I remember O.J. was avoiding the police during that infamous white Ford Bronco car chase. And then, trying on the gloves left at the scene of the crime, the world turned into the case with Johnny Cochran's summation. I know I'm sort of moving at a rapid pace. But he was found guilty on October 3rd of 1995. What was called the trial of the century, and it certainly was. There's no doubt about it. A hundred million people across the world watched the Los Angeles jury declare O.J. Simpson not guilty of murder. And everything was racially polarized around that case. Most whites felt he was guilty. They would have put him in the gas chambers of San Quentin and given him the death penalty. Most African-Americans were saying, hey, finally, finally, there's no doubt he probably did it. But he's using the same system to beat the rap that whites have used for decades. Well, I'll never forget that time. But the question is, where were you 
when all of a sudden you were alerted at 6.45 at night, East Coast time, on June 17th, 1994. That O.J. Simpson charged with two counts of murder had hit the freeway in the back seat of a white Ford Bronco driven by his best friend and former teammate Al Collins. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Speaking of Al Cowlings, who was very loyal, very close to O.J., played with him, I believe, in the old Buffalo Bills. Orchard Park there, the old stadium, not the one that Captain Crime Wave Holcomb wants to build now and enrich her husband who uh, holds all the licensing of all the vending that's going to go on there. The beer man. Want to bet they're not going to be selling Bud Light anytime soon in Buffalo? No. Have you seen the stands at some of the uh, baseball stadiums, you know, wherever they originally used to sell Bud Light? Nobody lines up for Bud Light. Even if they gave it away, they wouldn't drink Bud Light. Although I know some people around here, like Frank Morano, they would. Anything free. Anything free, right? Free stuff. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember Al Cowling's phone call to the Los Angeles Police Department during the OJ chase. 
Covered, you're covered, the scene. Can you describe no, I, it? I, it's hard for me to describe it, I'm telling you. I don't think any two people could be um, murdered the way they were without everybody being covered in blood. And of course, I think we've all seen the grisly pictures after. So, yeah, I think everything was covered, would have been covered in blood. Hmm. Then, of course, the closing remarks of Johnny Cochran, uh, who years later died from brain cancer. This might have been the statement that sealed the deal for the jury that determined to exonerate O.J. Simpson on the two murder charges. It occurred to me how they were going to come here and stand up here and tell you how O.J. Simpson was going to disguise himself was going to put on a knit cap and some dark clothes and he was going to get in his white Bronco and this recognizable person and go over and kill his wife. That's what they want you to believe. That's how silly their argument is. And I said to myself, maybe I can demonstrate this graphically. I'm going to show you something. This is a knit cap. I'm going to put this knit cap on. And you've been seeing me for a year. If I put this knit cap on, who am I? I'm still Johnny Cochran with a knit cap. And if you look at O.J. Simpson over there, and he has a rather large head, O.J. Simpson in a knit cap from two blocks away is still O.J. Simpson. It's no disguise. It's no disguise. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Mm. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Boy, that was smooth, real smooth. Obviously, uh, Johnny Cochran went on to own a massive law firm that did work here in New York, did work in uh, California and other parts of the country, and then uh, he died at a relatively young age. I remember seeing Johnny Cochran in uh, LAX. He had no words for me, Broadway Billy. He looked at me and he said, I ain't talking to you. Talk to my lawyer. And then he laughed. Anyway... That was the classic moment. And then, of course, O.J. now lives in uh, Nevada, plays golf, carouses around, does a podcast from time to time with podcasters. And the uh, constant question that is thrust in his direction about, isn't he upset that the real killer is still on the loose? Are you upset that the, like, the killer of Ron and Nicole was never found? Uh, right now, I'm not going to discuss any of that. All right? Yeah, you, yeah I think that's a pretty obvious question. Mm. But uh, I'm not getting in that. I'm not going there. You don't think that they're still out there? Uh, I'm not I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Of course. What would he end up uh, placing himself under citizen's arrest? Wow. Remember that time? Remember how polarized the country was? And not just because of black versus white, but O.J. was considered a nice guy. I mean, people had his number 32 throwback Buffalo Bills jersey. They had his jersey from when he played with the University of Southern California. He was on TV shows. He was in movies. I mean, Madison Avenue loved this guy. They couldn't get him to do enough commercials. And he played with the Buffalo Bills up in Orchard Park. And a lot of people said, man, 
Is this a guy you want to be playing with, you know, the Chicago uh, Bears or the New York Giants or the San Francisco 49ers in his hometown, which I think eventually he did in the waning days of his career, or the L.A. Rams, you know, major cities with major franchises, and yet he stayed in that small market of Buffalo. And just dominated. Dominated everything. And a lot of people, particularly who had followed him in sports, were just completely crestfallen. Could not imagine because we learned so much about O.J., how he had been abusive before that, may well have been abusing drugs. And uh, so, like, it's just flowing back to me as we speak here. Remember, Marsha Clark, who is the lead prosecutor for the Los Angeles County DA's office. I think Marsha Clark was originally from Staten Island, if memory serves me correct. I could be wrong there. She had an affair with her uh, assistant district attorney who was prosecuting that case. That was a little jungle fever at that time. Remember that? Uh, oh, you remember that, Broadway Bill Lee? You were like, yeah, Marsha Clark. Oh, oh. This guy's snacking on a white woman in the middle of the trial. And then O.J. had a phalanx of attorneys, if I remember correctly, the main one being Robert Kardashian. Remember how he was involved with the Kardashians? In fact, again, if memory serves me correct, O.J. Simpson was staying at Kardashian's house when he fled and embarked on that infamous Ford Bronco chase. Boy, everybody was involved in that case. Robert Shapiro, who ended up uh, with a law firm. Remember, they would sell wills to you, everything else. They would do everything, one-stop shopping. And then there was uh, F. Lee Bailey. The Dersh, yeah, Dershowitz was involved. Of course, Johnny Cochran, smooth. Barry Sheck came up with the DNA defense for so many... uh, Accused years later, who would be sprung from jail because he was able to uh, compare DNA and Robert Kardashian himself. And who could ever forget Judge Edo, right? Remember Judge Edo? And who was that friend of OJ, that blonde, nerdy guy? I'm trying to remember him. I mean, he was about as doofus as you could get. I mean, when you look up the words do not. It was that blonde guy. I'm trying to remember who he was. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what sticks in my mind, Broadway, Bill Lee, and Avery, is when I saw a picture of the Olympic gold medal champion, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, back then, male. I mean, one of the greatest male athletes of all time and his wife, Chris as they were there to watch the closing arguments in the O.J. Simpson case, who would have ever thought that the Wheaties guy, Bruce Jenner, the greatest athlete of of that era, the Catalan champion. You think he lived in upstate New York? He lived in Connecticut. Would become a, a woman. 
and now be on the attack against the other transgenders who want to compete in sports against real women anatomically? Who could have ever predicted all of that? You talk about freaky deaky. And look at the Kardashians, right? What on am I? Let's go to Eddie in Nassau. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Uh, salutations, Curtis. I got just got a question. Was there ever any DNA or forensic tests done either on that hat or the gloves or those Bruno Marley shoes? Oh, yeah, those shoes that were one of a kind. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Because remember, the whole concept of DNA uh, came about with Barry Sheck. Later, him and his partner, who ended up using DNA to free a lot of falsely accused uh, individuals who then ended up having doing, to do time for crimes they didn't commit. I don't seem to remember that. Yeah, that's but, why I thought maybe you'd know. Yeah, no, no, I don't seem, I remember, remember that famous scene of Rosie Greer, the former great football player for the Giants oh, yeah. and the L.A. Rams, going to give spiritual counsel. O.J. when he was being held in a cell block in uh, in uh, L.A. County Jail. And they had lip readers trying to look at the film and determine what was it that Rosie Greer was saying to O.J. And did O.J. confess to Rosie Greer the way you might to uh, a priest? And then Rosie Greer basically took the same position since he was a minister. He said, I- I'm not at liberty to say what O.J. said to me. Wasn't Rosie Greer also at the uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr.'s assassination in California? Wasn't he in the room when Sirhan Sirhan uh, supposedly shot uh, RFK and uh, actually was the security guard behind him that they, when the crowd bumped into him, that's when the shot went off? That's why the powder burns were on the back of his head? You are correct. He was the one who helped uh, hold down Sirhan Sirhan. Yeah. When another great athlete who uh, was an African-American, who I think he was also a decathlon champion, I forget his name. If anybody out there knows, please give us a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember, Rosie Greer would play guitar. Uh, Then he uh, became a real holy roller, introduced Pat Robertson when he was uh, of the 700 Club, when he was running for president in Bed-Stuy. Boy, there's so much about Rosie Greer. Wherever history was being made, Rosie Greer was there. A Forrest Gump. Yep. A Forrest Gump. (laughs) A real Forrest Gump. And according to all, that's a really nice guy. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
former wife, and then uh, her boyfriend, uh, Ron Goldman. Savage them. Well, I will tell you this. I cannot remember where I was when I first heard on June 17, 1994, 29 years ago, what I was actually doing when that famous chase got underway with a white Ford Bronco driven by O.J.'s best friend and former teammate Al Cowlings, and we were led to believe that O.J. was stuffed in the back seat with a gun to his head, ready to pull the trigger, lights out. Let's go, if we can, uh, to um, what happened here. Well, we lost our board operator. Hello, Avery. Well, where'd he go? I remember I, I was watching the NBA Finals, like a lot of people. Oh, the NBA Finals. Yep. That's right. Hold on, Shane. I'm, I'm thinking. H- Houston, Houston Rockets, New York Knicks. That's right. Houston Rockets, Hakeem Olajuwon, MVP. He was magnificent, but so was Ewing. Yep. And you, then- know, you know who didn't deliver in that game? Because remember, he was, uh, he was ascending. Remember, he had... During the season, he had stuffed over Michael Jordan's John Starks. Yeah, Starks. 0 for 19. Starks, who had been uh, packing uh, groceries. Yeah, Oklahoma. In a supermarket in Oklahoma, came out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, was firing away. And uh, Riley just let him shoot. Yeah, they didn't have nobody else to shoot that team. I know, but still, the guy was... He yeah. wasn't even hitting the backboard. Boy, that game. Yeah. And nobody was watching the game. Everybody was trying to watch the game. I remember they minimized the game for that stupid car chase. I'm like, reverse it. No, let, no, no. Let Every- the game be on the big screen and let the car chase be in the, in the, in the, in the little screen. No, people were watching the car chase. Even uh, apparently in Houston, right? No, no, wait, that game that game was at Madison Square Garden when oh, the car chase took place. I can't remember. Because it was game seven in Houston. No, that wasn't game seven. No, but it, I think it was the previous game in Madison Square Garden. Because remember, it went down to game seven. Yeah, yeah. And John Stark, who now owns a car dealership, <laughs> I think in Queens, a uh, really nice guy. He does a lot of philanthropic work. You're not going to find a nicer guy than John Stark. Yeah. But imagine he was packing groceries. Yep. He worked got, his way up the ladder. He, he, he got lucky, man. Stuffed over Michael Jordan. Skied over him. That wasn't real, man. No, no, that was real, man. You, you put some powdered sugar on that one. No, no. <laughs> he stuffed right over MJ. You put some barbecue sauce on that one, man. Game seven. Riley with the slick back hair. By the way, where was Riley originally from? What city was Riley birthed in? 1-800-848-9222. And what college did he play for? The coach. 1-800-848-9222. And by the way, what other great 
superstar, this time in football, was packing groceries in a supermarket, and then in a year or two, was playing in the Super Bowl, and barely lost. Barely lost. I watched it right before me in the Superdome. Hold on, what? In New Orleans, this is before Katrina. They had just elected that madman mayor because he had been a vice president, uh, an executive, I believe, of Comcast. You know, the cable out there. He's going to be just like Bloomberg. I thought I knew who you were talking about until you said they barely lost. Oh, you remember? He said they barely lost. I'm the, the, the person I'm thinking of won. No, they barely lost. He was he was a holy roller too. Uh-oh. Boy, that's a lot of trivia out there. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Troy in Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Troy. Good morning, Curtis. What's up? Yeah, Coop. What's up, Curtis? I was watching the NBA finals that the year. They never to uh, they went to the game to come, go to OJ. Uh, me and my friend were fit to be tied. Where's the goddamn game? Now, Troy, Troy, were you watching the game or were you watching the car chase? We watched the game, but then they interrupted the, the, the car chase. We had to watch the car chase because they, they interrupted the game. They had no choice. NBC is interrupted. You got, you got to admit, far more people were interested in the white Bronco with OJ in it and like 10,000 LAPD squad cars following it. Yeah, not really. By the way, do you remember in that NBA championship series uh, between Houston and the Knicks, Elijah Wan versus uh, Patrick Ewing, uh, how John Starks in that final game couldn't even hit the rim, couldn't even hit the backboard and just kept shooting? Yeah. It got so bad, uh, Patrick Ewing started taking three-point shots. He took a three-point shot in that game. It was horrible. No, I know, but I got to tell you, he was a great ball player, unexpectedly great, packing groceries at the checkout counter in a supermarket, what, Piggly Wiggly in Oklahoma? And then ends up on the almost world champion New York Knicks. And again, a nicer guy you're just not going to find. Let's go to Warren, uh, who's calling. Uh, where are you calling from, Warren? Deposit New York, and I can tell you where I was during that O.J. fiasco. I'm a, state, a retired state trooper, and I was in between shifts uh, because we worked seven to sevens back then. And I'm not going to mention his name, but he is a black man. His name is Tim, and uh, he was coming in, and I was going out. And we were all watching TV in the the, the troopers' room with the with the uh, the the with the the the, the 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 chase going on. And he turned to all of us and he says to him, he goes, "So all of us, he says, no matter what, he says, I'm telling you right now, there is no way OJ will ever be convicted, no matter what." He has too much power, and if they did that, they would be afraid of a race war out there. And he says, let me tell you something. Even myself, he goes, I would never be a trooper if it wasn't for the points that I got for taking, uh, for being in the military and being a, a black man. He goes, otherwise, he said, I scored much lower than all you guys, but I'm a trooper, 
that's what our government has provided. And he says, that's the way it's going to be. And when you give a race, this is his words. I swear to God, I'm my grandkids. He said, if you give a race a card that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what they act, they can justify that because of their color of the skin. He says, they're going to use it and use it and use it. And by God, I'll remember those words till the day I die. I don't know where Tim is now. He must be retired by now. But I would like to be able to get back in touch with him. I've I've chased, looked around to the, the retired troopers' names. I don't see his name listed. So I, I don't know exactly where he's at. But I, I always liked him. He lived in Bampton, New York, and he was stationed in Deposit which is about 35 miles away. So he drove, you know, every day to go to, go to work. And um, But I was on shift with Tim many, many times. Couldn't find a nicer guy in the world, a nicer guy in the world. But I was on, I was on crew that day and watched that on TV. Yeah, well, and, oh, and Warren, I, Warren, I, I will tell it. you at that point, uh, O.J. Simpson was the whitest black guy in America. Nobody thought of O.J. as being black. In fact, in fact, even black people didn't even think he was black. He was the most homogenized black person in America. That's why he was accepted within the white community as a spokesperson by major Fortune 500 companies. He he had gone beyond. He had transcended race. He was O.J. Imagine that was. O.J. You didn't even have to say Simpson. Everybody knew who he was. He was the sports star most in demand to promote products, to make public appearances. A lot of people liked the fact that he never tried to get out of Buffalo. Let's face it, a small city with a powerful football team because of O.J., But he didn't stomp his feet or say, I'm not going to play in Buffalo. I'll sit out a year. You got to trade me to a a bigger market like a New York to the Jets or to the Giants or the San Francisco 49ers or the L.A. Rams or the Chicago Bears. He didn't do any of that. Uh, he, He was a beloved figure. How many kids had his throwback number 32 O.J. Simpson jersey on? parents would actually go out and get that for them. Anyway, let's go to J.P. in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, J.P. How you doing, Curtis? Yes, J.P. I have an, I have an, an answer to the uh, question about O.J., the guy that was his caretaker, was Cato Caitlin. That's right, Cato Caitlin, who was like a moron, right? Totally still not. Right, and I got so. And last night I was on hold for a long time, and I wanted to get through to you with a quick Pat Cooper thing. I'll make it real fast. Pat, you know, Pat, Patty died about ten days ago, and when I was with him years ago, he said when he he told me a joke. It was a joke then, but now it ain't a joke. But that uh, when he dies, that he wants to be buried in in a foot in a foot pedal coffin. What's a foot pedal coffin, Patty? He says, listen, he says, if you're Catholic, 
you you uh you 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 use the foot pedal and it opens the coffin. If you're Jewish, you don't hit the foot pedal and it stays closed because the Jews believe in not seeing the body. I thought that was hysterical. I never heard that ever before. Well, I, 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 I will tell you. I will tell you this, JP. Uh, I'm on a mission now to get our owner and operator, John Casamitidis, to reopen the Friars Club. But it's dormant, it's empty, it's padlocked, a monastery over on 55th Street, the tradition there, because it was Pat Cooper who met his last wife there. She was like 28. He was in his 80s. And then they moved out to Las Vegas. Comedians need a place where they can come and where there does not have to be political correctness. It doesn't matter from what generation, older, middle-aged, younger. I do remember that John Katzmatidis said he put $6 million in cash to rescue the Friars Club. But who who bogarted him? Frank Morano's friend, you know, Sid Rosenberg's friend, who has a polyprep day, uh, day school immunity, Arthur Idala. Well, then claim he could run it. The guys, uh, apparently, who stole $13 million, skated because of Arthur Idala's legal skills. And then Arthur Idala thought that he and his consortium could run the Friars Club. They ran it right into the ground. It's padlocked now. We got to get that open again. That tradition needs to stay alive. If nothing more than in honor of, in my lifetime, the greatest comedian that I ever heard, Pat Cooper. Pat Cooper. Let's go to Glenn uh, in Hillside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Hi, Curtis. Uh, Johnny Cochran uh, wrote a book, uh, Journey to Justice, that he was on the uh, the, uh, the circuit uh, signing a book, and I met him at uh, Bookends in Ridgewood. So when it was my turn to go up there and have him uh, autograph the book, I said on there, said it to him, can you put on there? If it doesn't fit, he says, oh, yeah, it must it must have quit. I said, no, no. If it doesn't fit, phonetically, just the way it is, forget about it. He got a big kid on it. He says, yeah, I'm in Jersey. The Sopranos. Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, no, no. He uh, he had a, a good sense of humor. Like I said, I saw him in LAX. He said, hey, you, don't come and talk to me. I need to get my lawyer. A very, a very <laughs> funny guy. I think he was from... Uh, Originally Shreveport, Louisiana. That's the way they are in the northern part of Louisiana. They have that dry sense of humor. But let me tell you, when he got up, he took command of a courtroom. Uh, he was just smooth, smooth. I would have to say, but he certainly did get the. He got the joke. Yes, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Let's go to Chris in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, what's up, buddy? Longtime fan. How you doing? The the guy is not Cato Caitlin. It was Cato Kalin with no T. Ha! Cato Kalin. But you have to admit, he was the biggest moron that ever existed. Uh, I don't think he could major, chew gum and uh, think at the same time. A, a major mope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, hey, another funny thing about you were talking about Rosie Greer. Do you remember he did the movie The Man or The Thing with Two Heads with, nope. the, with the actor Ray Milland, and they were strapped together? No, no, I, I'm going to yeah, have to check R- that R- out. Rosie Greer in, in, in the early 70s, mid-70s, did like a horror movie. It was called The Man or something like it, The Man or The Thing with Two Heads. 
and it was the old actor Ray Milland and him and Ray Milland's head was on his shoulders and they had him strapped up on the back of him. <laughs> wow. I got to check that out. 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. And Nicole Brown was no longer with him and was with that 25-year-old guy, Ron Goldman. So angry was she that he stalked him, then sliced their heads off in the most vicious manner imaginable and then played the victim role. And with the aid of uh, Johnny Cochran and a whole host of other Top shell five star attorneys beat the rap, the double murder rap. A hundred million people were tuned in when that verdict came down in the courtroom of Judge Ito. Let's go to Jeff, who's calling from Forest Hills. Your turn uh, to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Hey, Kurt, what were you doing when the verdict came in? I don't remember. Really? Yeah, I wasn't. I, I, was, I wasn't watching the Nick game. I know that. <laughs> well, it's like one of those things. Like my parents, my aunts and uncles were like, "What were you, what were they doing when Kennedy got shot?" I know exactly where I was. What I was. It was pretty wild, and there was different people in the room, and it was different reactions. But that was it. Nobody spoke on it. They were just like, Ugh! and some people were like, "Oh," but that was it. It was yeah. Yeah, well, Jeff, let me amend that because uh, I misconstrued what you said. You were spot on. You said the verdict. Well, the verdict, I remember watching. I was at the old WABC because we went right to air. But I don't remember where I was when the chase began of the white Ford Bronco back in June 17th of 1994. But, yeah, no, I was was in the newsroom of uh, WABC when the verdict came down, and then I remember we went right on the airwaves and started talking about it. I was a a volunteer fireman back in the day. Wow, that's 30, that's a long time ago. I was in Oyster Bay. We were watching the TV, and somebody called up. I don't know if we were watching CNN or MSNBC, but, but somebody called up, and they punked them. And we thought, I knew, we knew right away the guy was full of garbage. He was like, I see OJ, I see him, and he looks scared. And we were watching, and we're like, wait a minute, that don't sound. And sure enough, he did it for a popular 
radio host at the time. Turned out that yeah, but that's what I remember from that day. It was pretty funny. You mean he it did it wild. for he did it for Howard Stern? Yeah, but he he was kind of believable. But I called him on it. Like I'm like I don't know, man. But he's like I'm looking at him, and I see OJ. He's like I see him, and he looks scared. I'm like whoa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forget who yeah, that yeah. who that character of the Howard Stern uh, ensemble was, but he did that quite frequently. Let's go to Gina Lynn uh, in uh, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina Lynn. Yes, I know the theory why OJ didn't have a lot of blood on him, because if you remember, he was supposed to do a movie with about Navy SEALs, so he he had the back of of uh, Nicole. Like he pulled her hair and he cut her that way, like stealthily, like the Navy SEALs would do. Mm. And 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 Robert Kardashian got his luggage that probably had like like he probably had like a, a wetsuit with, with with maybe like a, a sweatshirt and stuff on, you know what I mean? So that the blood he took it off. And the, when the driver came to go get OJ to the airport. He saw a dark figure tall, uh, uh, like in the ho- hosing himself off or something. And yep. he was late to that. And and the other part I want to say is that I think Nicole bought him those gloves, and she bought them in a regular department store, not like in big and tall men, because OJ had a big head and very big hands, uh, even if he was only like six two or whatever his wow. height was. You're, had, you're a real Sherlock Holmes here, Gina. <laughs> Telling you, wow! I, I, I watched Geraldo. I ate, slept, drank at that that whole trial because I feel so so terribly bad for Fred Goldman and, and and I mean Nicole picked him, so you know that's her lot in life or whatever. But it was he was really an innocent bystander. Well, I, Just I, coming I, home. I remember every morning I would be listening to Lionel, who was doing mornings at WABC at that time, and he did a great job with the. Uh, O.J. trial and said afterwards, God, I hope O.J. would go out and kill again. Because that's when Lionel was at his all-time best. I mean, everybody was listening to him because he did such great analysis. Uh, After what transpired in the court the day before, he'd come on in the morning with Bruce Anderson, his news guy. And they, they'd sort of go through all the details. It was so compelling, so interesting. He just didn't want to turn the dial. Not at all. Let's go to Kevin, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Good morning, Curtis. I'm very happy to be able to speak on the 50,000 powerful watts of WABC. And I have an answer to one of the uh, trivia questions you posed before that though i want to wish you a happy father's day and i want to say that we have something in common like you had your father was in the merchant marine my father also served in the merchant marine during world war ii Mm. he was a radio officer lieutenant jg in the merchant marine um and the answer to one of the trivia questions, I had the football player who was uh, packing groceries. I'm very proud to say he's from my state, my home state of Iowa. And Kurt Warner, I believe, is the person you're talking, you're thinking about and referred to. 
That's right. He and, uh, uh, he it was uh, packing groceries. He really wanted to play football. He had an opportunity first to play arena football, and then uh, I may say, Curtis. Yes. Uh, from now on, when you uh, say Iowa, more pigs than people. Respectfully, I would request that you say also Iowa, the home of Kurt Warner, of Marion Morrison, also John Wayne, also Ronald Reagan. He wasn't Ronald Reagan. Did a was a radio man in Des Moines, and WHO Radio, I believe, was his uh, was the call letters he worked at. Yeah, and he would actually read from the ticket tape uh, and act like a play-by-play guy for the Chicago Gub- Cubs games. Oh, yeah, come on. That, that was great. Yep. Heath Warner went on to quarterback the Cardinals, the actually the Rams, St. Louis Rams at that time, versus Tom Brady in New England, who eked it out in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. In 1965, Vietnam seemed like just another foreign war, but it wasn't. It was different in many ways, and so were those who did the fighting. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 19. In, 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 in Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, he was 19. Yeah, no. 
Just a great song. Paul Hardcastle, 19. And it's about the Vietnam War comparing the service of the men in that uh, conflict. Although it was never called a war, it was called a police action like the Korean War. How ridiculous is that? These are full-blown wars. And compared it to those who had served in World War II, the average age. But... I was sort of brought to focus on the Espionage Act. I know it's not anything that would normally pop into your mind, only because at the center of Donald Trump's historic federal indictment in Miami is the Espionage Act under which prosecutors have charged the former president with illegally keeping government information after leaving the White House and then refusing to give it back. And when I read that as part of the indictment, just uh, days later, it was announced that Daniel Ellsberg had passed away at the age of 92 in the Bay Area of California. And those of you who are baby boomers probably remember the era of the Vietnam War and all that went down. And the nonsense that our government had fed us about our involvement there, our continued involvement, our escalated involvement, only to be replicated years later by the nonsensical reason we were given to invade Iraq, looking for the weapons of mass destruction that did not exist by a whole host of our elected officials. So both during the Vietnam War... And then when Bush 43 with uh, Cheney decided that uh, we would invade Iraq and take out Saddam Hussein, giving people the impression that Saddam Hussein was behind the attack of 9-11, never clarifying it to the American people, sort of leaving it lingering, even though he had absolutely Jack Diddley squad nothing to do with Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. In fact, they were mortal enemies. It just reminded me of what an important measure Daniel Ellsberg had taken when he put together all the papers of the Pentagon Papers, made copies, and made sure that uh, the American public would have access to it through newspapers, mostly the New York Times, the Washington Post, those publications that so many of you vilify now and don't seem to understand there is a reason for their existence. As was uh, very much uh, put forward by other times in the Washington Post and other papers, defied the federal government and published the Pentagon Papers. See, I remember Daniel Ellsberg at that time, my family... Relatives were telling me, oh, this guy's a communist. This guy's trying uh, to act as an insurgent. But if I remember the date correctly, it was January of 1973 that Daniel Ellsberg was charged under the Espionage Act, which dates back to 1917. 
along with other charges of theft and conspiracy, carrying a maximum sentence of 115 years. Because of governmental misconduct and illegal evidence gathering and his defense by Leonard Boudin, Leonard Boudin, who I think is the father of the Udiscraziata, San Francisco County DA, who was recalled from office, I think. I may be wrong about that. And a whole host of other attorneys who were able to engage the court and get all the charges dismissed from Daniel Ellsberg in uh, May of 1973. And, oh, boy, did they put uh, Daniel Ellsberg through the ringer. Later on, I was to uh, learn exactly what a difficult life Daniel Ellsberg had when he took on the government of the United States. In that case, it happened to be Richard Nixon. But I remember reading about him at that time. He had been born and raised in Chicago. And even though he was a Ashkenazi Jew, his parents had converted to Christian science. The big Christian science room uh, building in uh, Chicago, right near the Chicago River, near the old Chicago Tribune building. And people would go in there and read. I believe Christian scientists uh, do not believe in medical care as we know it. They believe in contemplative thought and, I guess, uh, lifestyle. I'm not all that sure. So if anybody's out there who's a Christian scientist, if you could please explain it. Never have quite understood it. I know they have these reading rooms. I know and the Christian scientists that I met, they've never, never been encouraged to seek medical care. But I'm wondering what the hell they do if uh, they had cancer or really some serious malady that you couldn't just uh, pray your way through or think your way through. Daniel Ellsberg then went on to uh, Harvard College. His mother had always wanted him to be a concert pianist. And in 1954, the year that I was born and birthed, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps and earned a commission. He served as a platoon leader and company commander in the 2nd Marine Division and was discharged in 1957 as a first lieutenant. Daniel Ellsberg then went out and started working as a strategic analyst at the Rand Corporation for the summer of 58 and then permanently in 1959. And his focus, his expertise was nuclear strategy and the command and control of nuclear weapons. Ellsberg then went on to work in the Pentagon from 1964 under the Secretary of Defense at that time, Robin McNamara, and a special uh, assistant to an assistant Secretary of Defense. He then went, went on to South Vietnam for two years. On his return from South Vietnam, Ellsberg resumed working at the Rand Corporation. As Eisenhower had said, beware of the military-industrial complex, because that's what the Rand Corporation Certainly was. In 1967, Daniel Ellsberg contributed to a top-secret study of classified documents on the conduct of the Vietnam War, commissioned by Defense Secretary McNamara. These documents, completed in 1968, later became known as the Pentagon Papers. 
And then all of a sudden, in 1969, Daniel Ellsberg had an epiphany. Like a lot of men who had served in the military up to that point, he began attending anti-war events while still remaining in his position at the Rand Corporation. He attended lectures by the uh, priest, Philip Berrigan, for anti-war activism. I know I myself. Uh, had heard lectures by the Berrigan brothers at Brooklyn Prep, where I had gone after school, uh, where they were talking about nonviolent uh, civil disobedience and how that we had to eliminate all of our nuclear weapons. And would ask a question, well, if we eliminated all of our nuclear weapons, uh, what would happen to the nuclear weapons of our enemies? At that time, the Soviet Union, the Red Chinese, And they said, we would have to set the example. That sort of threw me off at that point. Give up your nuclear weapons, and eventually the Soviet Union would, as a basis of some kind of a uh, pact that you had signed on to, and the Red Chinese. And I said, uh, well, years later, that's what Muammar Gaddafi did. Gave up his nuclear weapons, uh, encouraged by Bush 43 to do it after he saw... Bush send the tanks in and steamroll into Baghdad, and then eventually uh, it led to the capture and the hanging of Saddam Hussein by the Shias, his uh, eternal enemies. And I guess at that time, Omar Gaddafi, whacked out as he was, wacky Gaddafi, looked like he was always in a drug-induced psychosis. He had his harem with him uh, of concubines that were called his security officers his personal bodyguards that he would fornicate and copulate with. And then uh, when he would visit Berlusconi, bunga, 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 the prime minister of Italy, he'd pitch his tents outside of the uh, presidential prime minister's mansion there. And uh, there'd be a lot of bunga, bunga going on with Berlusconi, who just uh, died this past week, and uh, Muammar Gaddafi. But I digress. What Daniel Ellsberg did was heroic and so important for our nation. He took it upon himself to secretly make several sets of photocopies of the classified documents to which he had access. These later became known as the Pentagon Papers. They revealed that early on our government had knowledge that the war, as then resourced, could most likely not be won. They knew that. These documents demonstrated, amongst other things, that the Johnson administration had systemically lied, not only to the public, but also to Congress about a subject of national interest and significance. No doubt about it. The Gulf of Tonkin resolution, all made up, all lies. And he had gone to U.S. Senators, Daniel Ellsberg. He had gone to J. William Fulbright. Remember, I believe, of uh, Arkansas who gave uh, uh, Bill Clinton, gave him the opportunity to avoid the draft. Pretty sure it was Bill Clinton who wrote to him about that. And then George McGovern, the peace senator from South Dakota. He was the leading opponent of the war at that time. Remember, ran against Richard Nixon in 72, got crushed. That was the first vote that I ever made was for George McGovern. I had my van festooned with McGovern for President Sheets. I didn't have the actual posters. 
weren't many of them available. Uh, but sheets that had his name McGovern for president, I had him draped on the uh, the van that I was driving at that time. Got a lot of strange looks, I'll tell you that much. But even George McGovern did not take the papers and release them on the Senate floor. The reason that Daniel Ellsberg went to them first is because a senator could not be prosecuted for anything he said on the record before the Senate. It's interesting. Then on Sunday, June 13th in 1971, the New York Times published the first of nine excerpts and the commentaries on the 7,000-page collection from the Pentagon Papers. For 15 days, the New York Times was prevented from publishing its articles by court order requested by the Nixon administration, meanwhile eluding an FBI manhunt. For 13 days, Ellsberg leaked the documents to the Washington Post. On June 30th, the United States Supreme Court ordered free resumption of publication by the New York Times. Two days prior to the Supreme Court's decision, Ellsberg publicly admitted his role in releasing the Pentagon Papers to the press. And that's when the plumbers went to work. Guided by Nixon administration confidant and hatchet man H.R. Haldeman, he described the situation to then-President Richard Nixon. Rumsfeld, that's right, the same Rumsfeld, was making this point this morning. To the ordinary guy, all this is a bunch of gobbledygook. You see how the elected officials and the appointed officials, it doesn't matter if they're Republicans or Democrats, think you're all stunard, you're all stupid, you can't remember or think uh, and chew gum at the same time. They really they, they demean people. I've been in their company. Of both Democrats and Republicans, they... They have only the nastiest thing to say about the average everyday person who pays their salaries, who keeps their staff functioning, and keeps this country alive. But to, to them, you're all students. So Rumsfeld was making this point. To the ordinary guy, all this is a bunch of gobbledygook. But out of the gobbledygook comes a very clear thing. You can't trust the government. You can't believe what they say. And you can't rely on their judgment and the implicit infallibility of presidents. Just like I was taught early on by my father, Chester. We are now uh, celebrating Father's Day. I lost my father a few years ago. He was a giant of a man. A true role model for me and so many others. But when I asked him about the teachings that I was receiving from the Josephite nuns in St. Matthew's School, Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, they were teaching us that the Pope was infallible, that whoever the Pope was, the Pope was basically acting uh, on the directions of Jesus Christ, God himself. And he was infallible when dealing with church doctrine. And I'll never forget, my father said, hey, the Pope, he puts his uh, pants on one leg at a time. He's no different than you or me, except he happens to be the Pope. And that was a bit of a shocker, but my dad proved to be correct. And what the Pentagon Papers did was destroy this notion of infallibility of presidents. 
which have been an accepted thing in our country for years. And it shows that people do things the president wants to do, even though it's wrong, and the president can be wrong, too. And who went after? Who went after? Daniel Ellsberg? John Mitchell, the attorney general. He issued a telegram to the New York Times ordering them to cease and desist publishing the rest of the Pentagon Papers. The New York Times refused and the government brought suit against it. And how many of you maligned the New York Times, you maligned the Washington Post, and yet in that era it was so important to bring things to light to the general population the government was trying to keep from us. That is the role of a free press to publish, to write things, to give us access to information that the government wants to keep out of sight, out of mind, or believes we're too stupid to understand it and uses that as its rationale for lying to us. Oh, they won't understand it. They're simpletons. You know, we're lying to them for their benefit. They'll appreciate it years from now. No, we won't. And so, in response to the leaks that had come out about the Pentagon Papers through Daniel Ellsberg and him giving copies to the various news publications, the Nixon White House staffers began a campaign against further leaks and against Ellsberg personally. The aides, Eagle Crow and David Young, under the supervision of John Ehrlichman, created the White House plumbers, and you know what that led to, Watergate, burglaries, and eventually the demise of the Nixon administration. But in August of 1979, Crow and Young met with G. Gordon Liddy, E. Howard Hunt, in a basement office in the old executive office building right next to the White House. Hunt and Liddy recommended a covert operation to get a mother load of information about Ellsberg's mental state to discredit him. Crow and Young sent a memo to Ehrlichman seeking his approval for a covert operation to be undertaken to examine all of the medical files still held by Ellsberg's psychiatrist, Lewis Fielding. Ehrlichman approved under the condition that it be done under the assurance that it would not be traceable. And then on September 3rd in 1971, they burglared Fielding's office. It was done by E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy. And it was carried out by the White House plumbers. Eugenio Martinez, Filippo Di Diego, and Bernard Barker, the latter three, were recruited CIA agents. As I told you, CIA stands for the acronym Criminals in Action. As uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, it's a rogue operation with no oversight, no supervision, with an unlimited uh, checkbook that they can feed off of and needs to be abolished. Well, that never happened. In fact, the CIA is stronger than ever before. But I ask you, when has the CIA ever been right? From the Bay of Pigs? Wrong. To the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Wrong. To the fact that the Taliban would take months and months and months before they were able to come in and take over Kabul? Wrong. Wrong almost all the time, the CIA. So the plumbers did their uh, invasion of. Daniel Elberg's psychiatrist's office 
They found his file, but it apparently did not contain the potentially embarrassing information they sought, and they left it discarded on the floor of Fielding's office. Hunt and Liddy subsequently planned to break into Fielding's home, but Ehrlichman did not approve the second burglary. The break-in was not known to Ellsberg or to the public until it came to light during Ellsberg's trial in April of 1973. This was a momentous event. I had a chance to read the Pentagon Papers, and I will tell you, ever since that enlightenment, I don't trust this government. I don't trust Democrats. I don't trust Republicans. I don't trust the deep state. I don't trust the CIA, the FBI, all these agencies. They will tell you and disseminate information that they think you need to know. And everything else, they sit on it like a hen laying an egg. Because in their minds, you're too stupid to know, can't be trusted to know. Pay your freaking taxes, raise your family, and stay out of the way of big government. That's not the way I view it. It's our right to know. It needs to be transparency. And the Pentagon Papers prove that. And yet we were told that Daniel Ellsberg was a communist, communist sympathizer, that he was trying to to commit an act of insurgency, to weaken uh, the foundations of our government, of our democracy. That is ridiculous. There needs to be a special place for Daniel Ellsberg for being the whistleblower. And remember, you know what happened to whistleblowers. They never get their credit. Until usually they're dead, like Daniel Ellsberg is now. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Generals gathered in their masses. Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah. Great song by Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne War Pigs about the military-industrial complex, which really came to light with the release of the Pentagon Papers by Daniel Ellsberg, and then all the trials and tribulations that followed him afterwards. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. W-A-B-C. 
calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Uh, you were talking about the Christian scientists, what they do when they get sick. They that is do that is correct. They don't do anything. We had a a, a young girl who got sick here, she regular cold, kept getting worse. And they were, you know, praying over her, laying of hands and all that. And she got pneumonia. And uh, doctors said, well, doctors didn't. Everyone said, you got to go to the doctor. She's going to die. No, no, no. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. They had friends over praying. You could hear them. She died at 12 years old. That should be against the law. If you want to have a religion <clears throat> that refuses medical treatment, that should be over 18. When you have the choice to make that religion choice yourself, choosing for a child that they can't have medicine, that's got to be. But no, because of freedom of religion, it's not against the law to let your kid die. You can let your kid die from no medicine. That's legal, apparently. Well, you know, uh, I was fascinated because clearly they talk about reading and studying and uh, it being a religion, but it's really not much of a religion, Christian scientists uh, or scientism or whatever you would call it. Because uh, the beliefs, from what I've seen, and I'm not an expert on this at all, uh, like most religions say that it is inspired by the words that you read in the Bible, that it's a guide to eternal life, but your interpretation of the Bible is different than their interpretation than somebody else's interpretation. But that that's probably the one glaring thing that has always uh, stood out to me is the um, unwillingness of those that follow Christian science to deal with any kind of medical treatment for any kind of malady that they may have, just as you described, Rick. Uh, what ultimately... And, 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 and what they did, Curtis, they justified it. Well, it must be God's will. If she, if, if she died, it's God's will. No, it was your will for withholding medicine. I mean, I hate the way they, oh, anything happens bad. Oh, it was God's will. You know, come on. Well, I'm wondering how they think that they're going to be healed once they do have a malady, once they do have a sickness, or once they do have something that is life-threatening. Miracles. 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 Hmm. Yeah, that's what they believe in, miracles. A miracle, and if God doesn't give you a miracle, then then it's God's will that they die. Oh, my God, you know? So the idea, the idea would be that healing comes through reading the Bible, reading passages, and faith, through, faith will heal you. Faith will heal you, friend. Mm, you know? mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so ridiculous, you know. And 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 it's over things that are written from two thousand years ago. I mean, this whole thing where it's got to be rethought. This whole religion thing because it really doesn't make any sense when you think about it. it, it none of it does. It really doesn't. It's a story that was told thousands of years ago and it's been retold and retold. And it just doesn't make any sense when you really, like, look at it scientifically. It doesn't make any sense. But I always thought the Christian scientists were free to choose for themselves and their families the kind of health care. No, uh, no, that, no it's, against, it's against your religion, bro. You can't, you can't have doctors. It's all faith healing. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Definitely free of drugs, right? Any kind of pharmaceutical oh, yeah, yeah. No, product. No, no medicines whatsoever. No medicines whatsoever. Oh. I don't know how they function nowadays uh, <laughs> with not 
having uh, medicines available to them, particularly if they are sick, uh, very sick, or have any kind of an infection. But they it's it based, based on faith in the Bible. Just read your passages, have faith, and uh, if you're meant to die, you're meant to die. Cross your fingers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, do you know what goes on in their reading rooms? I've run across their reading rooms in Boston and Chicago and D.C., yeah, I think they read. I think I think they read about not using medicine. I mean, I think that's what they do. They sit there and read and contemplate and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, they they reaffirm their own beliefs. They don't they don't read about other religions. They read about Christian sciences. So they're just like reaffirming. It's it's so they don't lose uh, they don't lose any of their fold. You know. So it's not like uh, they're putting their hands on your forehead and healing you. It's it's. Oh yeah, they try. I think they tried to do that because when when the people were up there praying for her, you could hear like whoa, whoa, all that mm. kind of stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, scary. Wow, like real holy rollers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in the, we were like, oh, what's going on up there? Laying on the hands. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, Avery goes to on Sundays. You should see him in the Black Baptist Church with the pastor. Pastor goes up and down the aisle and touches him, and they collapse right in the aisle there. And then he heals him. Right, Avery? Isn't well, that true? Ask Avery, ask Avery uh, Curtis, if they play music in his, his church. Like, you know, not, not church music, but I've been to black churches where they had, like, bass guitars and drums and stuff. It was great. Absolutely. And, you know, they were celebrating Juneteenth uh, all throughout the weekend. Harlem, Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, East New York. A lot of bands were on floats. In fact, it was ironic. They had this one uh, imitation group of James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One. I got ants in my pants and I need to dance. And they were on a float that was sponsored by Popeye's. And it was an imitation James Brown up there with Maceo in the Mac. Yeah. Weren't that many people out there in the streets of Harlem to observe it. Uh, so I guess it's going to take a little bit of time for people to get into the swing of things of Juneteenth. I got to tell you, most African-Americans I've run across have no idea what June 19th is. Juneteenth, as they call it. I've seen it celebrated in Milwaukee years ago when I was with the Guardian Angels there. Seen it celebrated in Chicago South Side, St. Louis North Side. Saw it uh, celebrated in Houston Fourth Ward, Dallas South Dallas near the old Cotton Bowl. But universally, not much is known about it in the African American community. Juneteenth and certainly not in the Caucasoid community of Caucasians. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Giuseppe calling from the Bronx. Joey, your turn to be heard at WABC, Joe. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, in the uh, beginning of the program, uh, Vince Scully, where he started his broadcasting career. It was at Fordham University, Rose Hill campus. And uh, I just wanted to uh, make a comment about the RFK assassination. Uh, Assisting Rosie Gray was George Plimpton, who uh, had uh, helped pin down uh, Sirhan Sirhan in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. Uh, And uh, George Plimpton had written a book uh, 
Hounds with the Detroit Lions, and the name of the book was The Paper Lion. Um, do you know what boxer he fought against for another book? Well, let me see. First, let's deal with the Detroit Lions. I remember that vaguely. I think the uh, regular quarterback was Milt Plum. Was I correct on that? Uh, you, you might be right on that. No, I, I remember. Uh-huh. You're right. He wanted to uh, play with the Detroit Lions. He played four downs uh, and then fought in a ring against which fighter? I'm trying to think. No, that one I don't remember. Wh- 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 okay, that, that, that was Archie Moore. Archie Moore, the great. What what do they call him at that time? Uh, it was like uh, not the Scorpion, not the... Uh, he had a he had a nickname light heavyweight Archie Moore also fought heavyweight right. very difficult to hit uh, just a very experienced boxer he could take a beating but oh boy he was, I think they called him Mongoose didn't they uh, I'm not certain of his nickname but you're probably correct well I don't know we got to put that out there for public consumption Archie Moore the great light heavyweight heavyweight. Was his nickname Mongoose, and I think he fought well into his late forties. Wow, long career! All right, so we started. Yeah. We started with a bit of trivia that you answered first. Do you see? I'm having my Joe Biden moment. What was that first bit of trivia? Vince Scully uh, started his broadcasting career at Fordham University at in the Bronx. WFUV, right? I believe so. Yeah, WFUV. Do you do you know? That when we were almost put to sleep, we were almost euthanized uh, by our old uh, owners and operators, Cumulus. The WFUV, that college station, which had uh, produced Vince Scully, which had produced Michael Kay and other great broadcasters, actually had more ratings than WABC. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that shows you how far down that Cumulus had beaten us into the ground that a college radio station, although very reputable, uh, with a long line of uh, accomplished alumni, like you said, Vince Scully and uh, Michael Kay and others, actually had more ratings than the old WABC. And they were using that as an excuse to put us to sleep, to euthanize, to put us down. (laughs) And that's wow. when John and Margot Katsimatidis came along with their parent company, Red Apple Media, and snatched us right out of the grave, like Lazarus from the dead resurrected us. And now we're the top-rated station in the tri-state area with some of the top-rated programs in the nation. And you say to yourself, in the darkest day of broadcasting at WABC, a college radio station, WFUV, up in the Bronx, Right next to the uh, the Bronx campus, there, not far from the uh-huh. Botanical Gardens and the Bronx Zoo, had uh, more ratings than WABC. Wow! Oh yeah. man, that was a very very sad day. And then all of a sudden, from darkness, the light, the resurrection. By the way, later on in the five o'clock hour. Is it the 5 o'clock? Yes, the 5 o'clock hour, 5 to 6. And then afterwards, uh, what do we have? Religion on the line or what? The Reverend, the Rabbi? Neither of whom have taken in any illegal aliens uh, at the suggestion of the mayor who himself has not taken in any illegal aliens in a Gracie mansion. But, oh, no, A.R. Bernard, the Rev, with a 5,000-seat megachurch there on Linden Boulevard, Pennsylvania Avenue, 
in the shadow of Starrett City has taken none. And Rabbi Joe Potasnik, the longest-running talk show host in WABC history, the first talk program after we uh, finished uh, spinning uh, stacks of wax with Cousin Brucie and all those great jocks, uh, he hasn't taken any into his congregation Sinai in Brooklyn Heights. I guess for all three of those guys, Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joe Potasnik, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, not our mayor. It's do as I say, but not as I do. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tim in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Timmy. The old mongoose was his name. He fought Rocky Marciano in... Steve from Manhattan. Now you got a cauliflower here there, Avery. See, you got Trudy. You got Trudy. Oh, you're like stunned. Oh, Steve from Manhattan got through to me. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The moment you heard him mention Rocky Marciano. From Brockton, Massachusetts, city of champions. Who else came out of uh, Brockton, Massachusetts? Marvin Hagler. One of the greatest fighters of all time who eventually went on to replace in the spaghetti westerns done in Italy, Clint Eastwood. And uh, he spoke perfect Italiano. Perfect. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Sean calling all the way from the Catskills. Is this the uh, Irish uh, the Irish Alps or the Jewish Himalayas, Sean? Hey, Curtis, man, I love you. Um, I'm a little west of both of them, um, but I know where East Durham is. I know where the Irish Alps are. Hey, I just wanted to let you know. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Sean. Oh, man. Uh, I admire you. I was a young kid when I heard about you in the late 70s. And uh, I just couldn't believe a guy like you existed. And I just wanted to say that I delivered the new the newspaper to Galante's brother when he was, he was gunned down. Um. I was the young kid. I delivered the newspaper. His brother had a cigar in his mouth. And he said he finally got what he was, he finally got what he deserved. And he had a new, when I delivered the newspaper to him. Wow. That was in Tuxedo, New York, in Orange County. Tuxedo, New York. Yes. You know where that is? Tuxedo. I know. I know where Florida, New York is. That's where the Columbos used to go hide out when the heat was on. The black dirt country. Those sweet onions that the Polish farmers raised, right opposite New Jersey's Action Park, the old Action Park. No, where is Tuxedo? South of there. It's north of uh, Suffern, New York. They consider it the gateway to New York. The famous ba- uh, bandit from the Revolutionary War was John. Uh, was a um, Claudius Smith, and he had a hideout up in the Harriman State Park. And I can go on for days for that because I know the history. But, so, um, so a little more about Carmine Galante. Sure, sure. Better known as the cigar because he always had that big stogie yeah, in his I, mouth. I, I delivered, I took on a newspaper route that fell to three people, and I brought it up to, and I'm in a little town, and I brought it up to, you know, 30-something and I'm a young kid. At, at 79, I was 16, playing all my sports in high school. And uh, 
I knew Mr. Galante. He lived on the circle near the high school. They called that the circle. I lived away from there. That was an Irish part. There was an Italian part. Um, we literally, all the who's who of Manhattan in 1888 came up to Tuxedo. Pierre Lorillard came up with an architect named Bentley off the train and said, okay, the who's who. He started pointing and said, his ha Maxwell House, Coffee's house will be here. My house will be here. They weren't mansions. They were just like uh, hunting cottages in 1888. And all the Italian, Irish, and Hungarian hardcore stonemasons from Europe were brought over, which was part of my family. My great-grandparents built that enclave in eight months. So Galante was one of those first coming up from the city back way back when. You didn't pay attention in the 70s. And uh, I delivered the paper as normal. He came out to pick it up with a cigar. Some people, I just put it in their box. And he said, yeah, he finally got what he deserved. And there was his brother. I just wanted to tell you that because you're such a, a mob knower. And there, and I have one trivia thing for you if you want to hear it. But, sure, uh, sure. What's that? Well, I was I had a top secret clearance in the in the Navy. I, I retired from the Navy, and uh, I just wanted to see if you can get this. Uh, I know about having a top secret clearance. All this crap you hear about now, on on, you know what's going on now with with the president and all that stuff. Now, I, I I when I was a young kid at 19, I was in charge of the top secret clearance files on a nuclear destroyer. Our nuclear cruiser, just, there was no nuclear destroyers. There was only four nuclear uh, cruisers, and I was on the Truxton. And uh, nobody wanted that job. I took it as a young kid. I was just real meticulous. I loved files and stuff. And uh, so to tell you, in the 50s, there was a guy. He, he's famous now to me and you. But at the time, he had a top-secret clearance in the Air Force over in Germany. When Elvis was over there, he's the first one to tell Washington, which told the president, that Stalin was dead. You know who, who he was? No. Enlighten us. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. He was the first one to tell the Western world Stalin was dead. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Amazing that you have all that retained in your thought process there in Tuxedo, New York. Now, that was great trivia. Certainly tops any of the trivia that I've spewed out uh, since we started at 12 midnight to take you to the break of dawn. Remember, nobody go to sleep. It's coming up, the funniest hour in all of radio. As Avery has bisected and dissected 20 hours worth of torturous listening that he had to do of what uh, Frank Morano calls the best of the worst side of the other side of midnight. You can hear that Monday through Fridays uh, from 1 to 5. Uh, it's a nationally syndicated show that uh, Avery has truncated different portions of it to turn it into the funniest. One hour in all of radio coming up next. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
against the machine. Nobody going to sleep, but taking you to the break of dawn. And as we move towards the funniest hour of radio, the dissection and bisection of the Mamaluke Frank Morano. Let's take a moment here, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, to salute a man's man. Man who grew up in the Upper East Side, has made it to the age of 83. One of the greatest sportscasters of all time. Who the other day was up in the broadcasting booth of Fenway Park in Boston. And yes, John Sterling... Uh, Took a shot right to the head. At the belt. And now the 3-2 swung on. A pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. Took a licking and came back taking what a professional. Could you imagine Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, right? He got he got hit with a fly. He'd probably want to go to the ER, the ICU. What a difference. See, that's old school, John Sterling. Yeah, yeah. Frank Morano, oh, my God, he misses one day and then two days. And, and I've warned him. You know, I'm old school, too. I don't take any time off because I know you take one day off, whoever replaced you might end up being your permanent replacement. Where's Frank Morano? It's la-dee-dee, la-dee-da. I need a vacation. Oh, yeah. Oh, let me go play with Carmine. Uh, I got to do what my wife Rachel tells me. I'm her Maytag. But up next, Avery blows him up. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. The cheese tax, the cheese tax. You gotta pay the cheese tax every time you're cooking. When the cheese comes out, this puppy comes looking. The rules are the rules, and the facts are the facts. And when the cheese drawer opens, you gotta pay the tax. The cheese tax, the cheese tax. Hand it over quick, or things might get ugly. I can get really loud. I'm a really barky puppy. I'm not just asking, cause I'm looking for snacks. This is real important business, and you gotta pay the tax. Well, this gives me the theme song for Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, because he is always indulged in eating fromage cheese. Once again, Avery, our nighttime producer and phone screener, has uh, put together a potpourri of different cuts of Frank Morano's show, The Other Side of Midnight. 
all throughout this past week. He's had to listen to 20 hours. Uh, that's excruciatingly difficult. But I see you've extracted quite a few cuts, Avery. So let's go right to uh, the cuts. And naturally, whenever we talk about the Mama Luke Frank Morano, we got to talk about food, sushi, and Japanese food. This one spot was such great quality Japanese food that I would go there with a whole bunch of friends, and I would never, I'd never brought anyone there that was ever disappointed. Not once. I, I, I don't know what my record is, but when I used to go to the, this one spot, Honestly, I would eat so much Japanese food, not just sushi because they had other things too, that it, I, I, it would almost hurt. I would almost be in pain. What? Which is why I don't go to those places anymore. <laughs> you know, he did every time he goes to those, uh, you know, like buffet joints or just you can eat till you drop dead. He comes in like Trump did after he got indicted. On the Espionage Act in Miami, he went to that Cuban restaurant. Remember, and he said, everything's on me, and then he leaves. That's, that's Frank Morano. That's what he looks for. He don't go all you can eat. He's like, eat till you hurt. That's right. Eat till you hurt. <laughs> eat till it's painful. Oh, my God. Eat, eat till your jaw swells. What a glutton. <laughs> Man, and it's and not just sushi. Not just, yeah, they, they ran out. Now, what else you got? They sashimi. Yeah. They ran out of that, too. All the soup. What's the soup? The hot miso soup all or whatever? All the miso yeah. soup was gone. <laughs> he drank that. Oh, that, my God. That's a warm-up. Oh, but anyway, uh, he had to add insult to injury. Neither you were invited, Avery, to the annual barbecue at Shea Murano, nor was nope. Broadway Bill Lee. Nope. Although your friend Joe Causey of WCBS-FM again was invited, uh, Bill. And I was invited, remember, like the very last second, one forty-seven in the afternoon on Saturday. He knew that I had to go on with Anthony Weiner, left versus right, three to four. Yeah, the setup. He said, "Oh well, you know, if you get a chance to drop over, you know, our barbecue is today." <laughs> well, listen to what transpired—the battle between him and his lovely wife Rachel. There was one bone of contention between the two of us, and she said she hands me, or she has a, a friend pick up some cheddar cheese. Before the barbecue, I said, "Great, what is cheddar that, cheese? What, what kind of? It's for the cheeseburger." And she says, "This is for you. I'm getting the cheddar cheese just for you. I'm using American for everybody else. Everybody else is getting American." I said, "Now I, am, I take my cheese very seriously. Yes, American yes. cheese is not a cheese. American cheese is, is they call it cheese product." Oh man, what? Look, that's How many why, hours did he talk about cheese? That reminds you of that little special kid when you were in school. They gave him graham crackers and put them in the corner. <laughs> His wife gives him a, a, a Ziploc bag full of cheese and puts them in the corner. Well, remember, he loves the Velveeta nail polish. That's an aphrodisiac uh, for him. Uh, Rachel has admitted putting that on, and he loves drinking those uh, Velveeta cocktails. Whiskey, cheese, they bring me ease, Frank Morano. Oh, my God. <laughs> but this is a public gathering. Like, like, like this, is, this is like friends, everybody over. Like, who, she, she takes care of all the stuff, and then hands it, and I got something for you, Frank. 
I didn't leave you out. He hands him a little bag full of cheese. Little bag of cheddar cheese. Cheddar cheese, my favorite. Oh, he was so excited. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently there was not enough cheddar cheese to Frank's satisfaction. There was not enough cheddar cheese for everybody. I made sure that the burger that the grill master made me had some cheddar cheese on it, oh, but it was so. only one package of cheddar cheese, and everybody else got American. <laughs> so I said to my neighbors on the block, and maybe there's eight or nine people that live in the block, don't let them give you American. They're making a limited supply of cheddar cheese available only to VIPs, so <laughs> tell Rachel that you want to... You want cheddar because that was the only thing that we had an argument about was uh, was the American cheese versus cheddar thing. Like, Frank, get, Frank, get out of my face, man. Like, if I'm there, I'm like, get out of my face, Frank. First off, he hired a master griller. Yeah, that was the guy he was going to let die if the, if, the, if, the, if the smoke was too poisonous. That's right. And we covered that. <laughs> what does it require to be on the VIP cheddar cheese uh, club list? Yeah. He, if, you, if you're a special friend, I mean, you have to be a friend over X amount. You know he got a little rule book, too. Like, you know he got a whole set of designated rules to make you eligible <laughs> for, for the cheddar cheese VIP list. <laughs> well, no, I, I want you to, but you've, I've known you eight years and ten years is the cutoff for cheddar cheese. He, he pulling people over in the corner to worth rent to him. There's cheddar cheese available. God. It's free food, Frank. Long as it's hot and plenty of it, I don't care. It's a barbecue. Well, we didn't get invited. No, so we, no, we, we didn't don't get care. invited. We don't care because we didn't get invited a second year in a row. I w- your I w- complexion was not your protection, no, Avery. It was kind of because this is the, this sounds like the worst barbecue ever. And he's pulling people to the side. You know, there's cheddar cheese available, right? <laughs> we got cheddar cheese. If you act right now, you're gonna get cheddar cheese instead of American. <laughs> you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> He's getting all sexually gets, charged up. And he got a, a, a cheddar cheese text list <laughs> to certain people. <laughs> Come here. Come here. Shh, shh, shh. I'll, no, put, no, no. I'll put some cheddar cheese yeah. in your burger. Yeah, I'll put some cheddar cheese. Slip it on that run. <laughs> He's all serious about his cheese. Dead serious. Dead serious. Walking around, talking to this one. Leaving that one, he's not hes not worthy of my cheddar. Yeah, wow. There was not enough cheddar cheese for everybody. <laughs> I made sure that the burger that the, I... the grill master made me had some cheddar cheese on But <laughs> She just handed you a, your own package of cheddar cheese. We assumed that your burger had cheddar cheese, Frank. You didn't have to tell us that in the story. What if it didn't? What if he just ate that and just... just... <laughs> Maybe we just ate his cheddar cheese and ran out. God. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) uh, then he tried one of the corniest tricks that I've ever heard anybody use in talk radio. I know many of you are on the road right now listening in your car. Give us a beat if you're listening right now. Give us a uh, little honk so everybody around you knows that you're listening. Oh, boy, that's a lot of honking. Wow. You didn't have to all honk at once. All right. Uh, people trying to sleep here. What do you mean people trying people to, try sleep? to sleep? <laughs> oh, can you hear that, Curtis? It's a million horns honking in unison. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, the idea is to keep them awake, Frank. Yeah. 
There's a not to put him to sleep. There's a wall of sound sweeping across America <laughs> like a tsunami. <laughs> Give us a honk Give if you're listening. Honk How the hell would he know who was honking? Give us a honk if you're listening. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Wait, wait, wait. There's a whole flock of Canadian geese pooping <laughs> on your head, and they're, they're like, oh, my God, they're honking up a storm. Wow. Everybody, don't honk at once. Jeez. <laughs> How corny. Oh, my goodness. God. And then, apparently, he was in line to get a new affiliate in his nationally syndicated radio show from St. Louis, the big power there, KMOX. Now, the KMOX folks, they're interested in carrying this show, right? But they're not totally sure if they want to carry the show yet. I don't blame you. Exactly. You want to try it, see if it's a good fit for the Missouri area, right? See how it works out. And I get that. So they're trying this show on a trial basis Very trial. just on Mondays. <laughs> so in the state of Missouri, the worst this day. is Murano, Missouri, Monday. Ooh, that's so we're horrible. trying to bring our A game to the good folks of Missouri. Now, what is that? Like the 3M company, Murano, Missouri? Uh, you know he made that up. Oh, farming, farming with Pete got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Farming with Pete got canceled. <laughs> Pete got Pete got arrested for what he did to them animals. Not in, and, and, and now they got a, a vacancy. God, they, he, he's getting so excited about an affiliate that's only yeah. on one day one out day. of the five day broadcast. Monday, they threw him on Monday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you can make Monday work a little bit, then you know you got some talent. What did they cover the other four days? <laughs> golf, <laughs> golf on the radio, and they got to figure out. If, in fact, it's worthy to yeah. have Frank on. Arts and crafts with Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> does, does Frank even know where St. Louis is? Look, look, man, good old Frankie. Frankie's up to the challenge, I guess. I know, but he never he never travels off of Staten Island. Almost never. 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 Anyway, he uh, indicated to all of his affiliates how much time he actually needs to develop an audience, to grow an audience. We're a little bit different than your typical radio talk show. Like and it takes, I'd say, about three weeks of listening before you can finally decide whether you like it or not. So if you're not sure whether you like the show or not, just keep listening. That's the best advice that I can give to you. Now, what I have crafted is the most middle-of-the-road show that you've ever heard. Exactly. So it's not too great. Nope. But it's not too bad either. Because <laughs> I feel like we're right in that sweet spot. You hit a sell job. You will find enjoyable. Now, a couple of things here. Oh, One. A couple of things. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on. I got to hear, hear that again. If, you hear the salesman? He, he, he downsold himself. My God. I would never want that show after the way he described it. He can sell ice to an exabote. Than your typical radio talk show. Uh And it takes, I'd say, about three weeks of listening before you can (laughs) finally decide whether you like it or not. You got one. Whether you like the show or not, just keep listening. That's the best advice that I can give to you. Now, what I have crafted is the most middle of the road show that you've ever heard. Okay. So it's not too great, but it's not too bad either. Okay. Because. I feel like we're right in that sweet spot mm, mm. of what you will find enjoyable. Now, a couple of things here. One, 
Uh, not yeah. too great, but not too bad. And, and we need a month. You, you're going to hate us for a month. You're going to wonder, how did this guy get a show for a month? Then suddenly after that, we won't seem that bad. That's what, that's what, that's what we're aiming for. Not that bad. God. We're right in the middle. We're not, we're not good, but we are not extremely horrible. We're just good enough for people to be lazy enough not to want to get off the bed to turn us off. You're damn right. That is the poorest (laughs) self-promotion that I have ever heard in my life. So pick us up, America. (laughs) We're not too great. We're not too great. But we're not too bad. But we're not too bad. We're somewhere in the middle. (laughs) We got star written all over us. (laughs) You think if he was advertising a product in a supermarket, what? anybody would want to buy that? Yo, what's the guy from uh, Mad Men? Oh, what's this for NBC? Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, him. No, but it's his character. Dang, oh, I can't believe I forgot the name. Oh, yeah, man. He's that guy. Frank, leave others to sell Don, your program. Don Draper. Yeah, Don Draper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. listen to Don Draper over here. <laughs> That's worthy of Don Draper. We're oh not too bad, God. but we're not. We're definitely not good, but we're not. We don't suck. <laughs> Pick us up, St. Louis. Let me, anyone, it, was, it, it came off like a warning, too. Let me warn you. You're hey, going to hate us. K- KMOX, a big station. I used to be syndicated at night. That's a big station. But they're only going to put Frank on one <laughs> on day Monday, a week. Monday. Monday, and they have golf on the other four days. <laughs> they're only going to put you on Monday. In, in certain sections of town. <laughs> yeah, north side, yeah. Monday. Maybe we'll put you on the south side of St. Louis Tuesday. East St. Louis yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, we got, um, hmm, uh, let, let's work on it. Yeah, let, let's it, work on it. Thanks for warning me. I'm probably going to hate it. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, uh, numbers are important to Frank, uh, of course, because this is the business we have chosen, and you must get ratings is even though my wife and son are asleep by the time this show goes on the air, I have been setting our smart speaker to play the show, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to it and no one else's. Because this way, <laughs> it'll come up in the statistics that people are are streaming. Oh, and if everybody oh, can boy. do that, which I wish you would, then that'll make us look really good. But... <laughs> Wait a second. You, you hear that, St. Louis? <laughs> that is a form of technology. Leave the radio on. Oh, Nobody's listening no, to it. No. And he'll get credit for one listener. Yeah, one more speaker. One, a speaker here, a speaker there. He builds an audience. Uh, Broadway Billy, uh, you've been in this business a long time. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard before. Can I hear that again, please? Is even though my wife and son are asleep hey, by the time this show don't goes listen, on the Louis. air, <laughs> I have been setting our smart speaker to play the show, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to it and no one else's. Because this way, it'll right. come up in the statistics that people are are streaming. And if everybody can do that, which I wish you would, then, then you that'll make us to. look really good. But Man, you juicing the numbers, Murano? That's cheating. You juicing the numbers, Murano? Right. Come on. But let's face it, that is cheating. You're better than that, Murano. Oh, <laughs> man. And then he's encouraging other people to cheat for him. Yeah. Ooh. You know, there there are rules against that. You know, the FCC has rules against that. 
you know, they have rules against pay-for-play. They have rules against juicing up your ratings while nobody's at home listening. This is not good, Frank. Then anyway, he talks about Rachel and Carmine, how he ended up waking up his son, who ended up having a breakdown, just crying like no tomorrow. I don't know what's going on because I just got a message from my wife a little while ago (laughs) saying your son woke up crying when your show came on the Alexa. I don't think that's a coincidence. Now we're watching TV on our bed. That's not good, Frank. <laughs> that is not good. And uh, I, 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 I need to get confirmation on that. So we have, we have on the phone. Uh, we, I asked a little Carmine to call in for this one because you did, you did interrupt his sleep playing your raggedy show. Uh, Carmine, uh, did you appreciate the fact that your father woke you up with his show? What? I mean, did you appreciate the fact that your father woke you up with his show? What? Oh, uh, you so he still can't hear. Hey, uh, Carmine, would you like your father to continue to play his show in the mornings when you're trying to sleep? Uh, Curtis, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know. That's his own son. His son was crying listening to his daddy's voice by a lecture. Turn it off, Mommy. Turn it off. God. (laughs) Man, what does that say? What is this sound? What is this horrible sound I'm hearing? And then he's trying to encourage a chat to be going on simultaneously during his show, but the whole concept crashed and burned. All right. Um, we have this chat going on, and apparently, uh, apparently, uh, how many people are involved in this chat right now, Matt Blaze, as you, uh, as you can monitor? Let me take a look. All right. uh, <laughs> you can go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters and participate in the live chat during the show Blaise if you like... want to comment live during the show. There about... are 14 people. Right 14. Now. The Fighting 14. There you go. Uh, the Fighting 14. The Fighting 14. Hey, St. Louis, you hear that? <laughs> You're you going to miss out on that. Hey, Doritos, Coca-Cola, Gatorade, you hear that? The y'all Fighting better, 14. Y'all better get on board before <laughs> this train is pulling off the station. <laughs> 14 listeners on the chat line. McDonald's. The fighting 14. Yes. Mc, McDonald's, Pizza Hut. Y'all better start sponsoring. Y'all better get in on this one. <laughs> How many again were in the chat room? The Fighting 14. <laughs> <laughs> it's so little that you could give them a nickname. Oh, <laughs> And he's all proud of that. The Fighting 14. <laughs> With Matt Blaze, he's all proud of that. Yeah, Matt Blaze did his, like, Vanna White impression. Hold on, Frank. Let me go look. Let me go tally the numbers. All right. Uh. Um, we have this chat going on, and apparently, uh, apparently, uh, how many people are involved in this chat right now, Matt Blaze, as you uh, as you can monitor? Let me take a look. Uh, uh, you can go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters and participate in the live chat during the show if you want to comment live during the show. There about... are 14 people. Right 14! Now. The Fighting 14! There you go. Uh, hey, 
I'm telling Blaze, if the number is not big, I'm, I, tell me in my ear so I, so I don't continue with this charade. That's right. That's right. He does the whole thing on the air. 14 oh. people. The and, fighting and, 14. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you and 14 people, right? You'll be on WFUV up at Fordham University. That's that's the Murano Army, boy. Got it. <laughs> then, then, naturally, he had to comment on his lovely wife, Rachel. I did this with my wife yesterday, so I don't want to hear any complaints, not from you, Anthony, but from R- Raji or the Vox Populi that these uh, that the questions are too long. They're not. I went through them with my wife yesterday, and she got the she got two of them wrong, but it wasn't due to lack of timing. So it's uh, it's going to be, I think, just fine. Most of these are pretty easy. You ready to go? Okay, let's do it. Hey, that was a little sneak shot too. That was a little <laughs> sneak shot on his wife. And the game, little, they, a little Vox, yeah, popular, little little little, little bank shot on his wife. These yeah, questions little, were little, easy, little Latin there, yeah, little Vox popular. He, they, they giving him a lot of pressure over the questions now on the, on that little crooked crooked uh, dice game. He called it a thousand dollar minute. Now why why is this fixation on this caller Raji? Good, right? Well, what, what's this fixation? Raji's always giving them. Raji's always giving them the the, the, the the elbow because the question he takes too long to say the questions, mm. and it's only and they only get a minute. But here, here, live and in person, it's Raji. Raji, of the eleven listeners <laughs> to the show that I conferred with, ten are convinced that the only. The one and only $1,000 minute winner was a WABC insider. Whoa, 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 wait a second. The fix is in, Raji? The fix is in. Raji, get, Raji stay on him, Raji. That's right. He doesn't explain it. He just lambastes him and implicate. the implication is that it's fixed. Oh, yeah. And you got and you got Frank doing the throat cut sign, whatever, to, to get him off the air. <laughs> get him off the air. The thousand dollar minute, right? The thousand dollar scam. Oh my God. The thousand dollar scam, man. And then there's Charles from Queens, uh, talking uh, gibberish, really, really talking gibberish. Raji, of the eleven listeners to the show that I conferred with, Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. What's being done to him, he would like to take an Uzi machine gun, and I agree, and start shooting. Well, so let, he said, up yours. I'm not giving you back. Let, let, yeah, let's hope it doesn't. If you want it, go to hell. Let's, let's hope it doesn't come to that. something Thomas. like a fighting back. All yeah. the vicious Twitters and tweets and whatever he says is nothing compared to what he has a right to do. You would agree, Rage. though. You would I mean, he actually Charles. has to talk to the North Korean um, <laughs> a dictator, whatever his take name is. Take a breath. Is. Charles. And I believe it was the Charles. time that... <laughs> That exactly then, Cohen, but his, as you know, I'm sure he is, uh, the, the, uh, his lawyer, his private lawyer was being interrogated. Charles, can you hear me? Hello. Charles? Okay. No, I hear you now. I'm oh, sorry. Right. Yeah, 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 I can hear you. I just want to keep talking over you. <laughs> oh, I got to hear that one again. I can again. hear you. I got to hear that one again, Broadway Billy. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. What's being done to him, he would like to take an Uzi machine gun, and I agree. And start shooting. Well, so like, he said, up yours. I'm not giving you back. Let, let, yeah, let's hope it doesn't. If you want it, go to hell. Let's, let's hope it doesn't come to that. something Thomas. like a fighting back. All yeah. the vicious Twitters and tweets and whatever he says is nothing compared to what he has a right to do. You would agree, Rage. though. You would I agree. Mean, he actually Charles, tried to, tried to jump in there one time. Take a breath. Control your caller, Morano. That's exactly then, Cohen. 
He's smacking on the mic. His lawyer, his private lawyer, is being interrogated. Charles, can you hear me? Hello. Charles? No, I hear you now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, God. Who's, the, the show belongs to the listeners. Definitely. They control it. They control it. There's no doubt about it. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Life and times of uh, Frank Morano is so difficult. Each day poses more and more problems for Frank to overcome. I spend almost entire my, the entirety of my day doing things that end in ing. For the four hours that I'm here on this program, I am talking. When I leave here, I will be driving. When I arrive home, I will be sleeping. When I awake, Man, Curtis, what's going aside on? from a couple hours of entertaining Carmine and playing, although those both have ING in them as well, I will then be reading. What? <laughs> Carrot is not. Do we know? Did did we need to know all of that? I mean, now now he's just basically just saying verbs on the air. Like I don't, I don't understand this. I, I really don't understand this. Frank, do you realize that everybody who's doing anything can say that? I'm walking right now. I'm breathing, Frank. Now and then I'm seeing, <laughs> and then I was. Th- I'm, I'm thinking now. What in the world are you talking about, Frank? Oh well, you know what he's talking about. What is he always talking about? <laughs> William Shatner. The Trump indictment was. Um, announced by the special prosecutor Jack Smith on Friday and I had no idea that Jack Smith played coach Beard on Ted Lasso had no idea oh, no. and sure enough I haven't checked the credits or anything but I looked at both of their pictures and it's the same guy same guy so I'm wondering if that's why they that this indictment took so long because they were waiting for the season of Ted Lasso to yeah, wrap it. up, we all love we all love Ted Lasso like you, Frank. What is wrong with this guy? We're gonna hold up the Trump indictment. Everything, because <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we have to know how Ted Lasso is like you. What? Ted Lasso? I thought I was done with this stupid show. Jack Smith performed in Ted Lasso, <laughs> so now they're gonna have to hold, hold up, up the indictment, the Trump indictment. Unbelievable. The biggest indictment of the last, I don't know how long, <laughs> until we know what happened in Ted Lasso. And Frank is so self-absorbed. He believes that crap. He's like, well, he. I love Ted Lasso. I cry every week to it. So everybody must. <laughs> everybody has to cry in their beds every week next to their wife. And then he gets a call from Giuseppe in New Jersey. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. 
Hey, Frank, if you uh, can know for certain when we die that we move on, you know, to, to be in paradise with our families and, and or be together forever or that it just ends like Tony Soprano and it goes black, would you really want to know? So my choice is I can either know if there's an afterlife or not. That's basically the question. I'm going to choose not knowing, honestly. And um, that's and, and maybe if I knew there was nothingness, maybe I would... I don't know. Maybe I would lead a very different life. What? Totally what? dedicated. I would hope not, but totally dedicated to hedonism and self-indulgence. <laughs> what? As opposed to trying to contribute something to my fellow man and to the earth. I hope that's not the case. But what if you know that you're just hell? living for the life on earth, then I don't know. Who's to say? <laughs> Reverend Barato. <laughs> What the hell is that? Reverend Murano, look, I don't want to know what's in the afterlife because I might have to bang anything that moves. Wow. That's the only thing keeping him like like at home is, is not knowing? That's the only thing keeping the ants in the pants because he needs to dance. Well, remember, because he had all those strippers. You know Frank, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole choir. He'll, he'll go out to the whole choir. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> And then speaking of reverence, uh, he's so busy marrying his many friends. Tomorrow, I am uh, marrying a friend of mine. No, I'm already <laughs> married. It's not a bigamy kind of deal. I'm the Rev. ceremony because I am, of course, an ordained minister in both the Universal Life Church and sure. American Marriage Ministry. Both of them. Both and I still have some prep work to do on this wedding. Oh, and prep we have work. A rehearsal dinner tonight. <laughs> so it's a lot of work to get done. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Who, who the hell would want to get married by Frank Morano? Who? I don't know about the afterlife because I might have to bang everything. Oh, now. <laughs> <laughs> my man Frank testify Frank she's like look man I don't want to know what's coming because oh, oh. I might have to have sex with everything wait wait what's coming is Frank getting real serious this is a sin this is a travesty. What we are witnessing right now is living history. Don't we have a right to see this? Of course we do. We can't even watch this trial. This is a travesty. This is a joke. This should be a textbook example of putting cameras in federal courtrooms. Hey, Frank. I... I do not understand <laughs> the argument against putting cameras in courtrooms. Wow, he had a TV tantrum. Frank, man, like Frank has to know. Frank needs to know. You can't. He he spies on people. Remember, he hid in the he hid in the in the in the, in the bathroom and yeah, yeah, the burning. He's, he's banging on he's the banging table. On the, you don't want to get the little guy mad, man. Wow. And you know what? You mess with Frank, he's gonna write a pass or letters up. We need to see this trial. I am going to be writing to my member of Congress today and urging her once again to support legislation that would mandate televised federal trial. He'll write a letter, won't he? Will you join me? Will you join me in asking your member of Congress no, no. to allow cameras in federal courtrooms?
You thought O.J. was the trial of the century. Oh, yeah. What I wouldn't give to be able to watch that trial and watch video of that trial and join me in asking Congress to do something about it. What do you you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 open lines. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Fighting 14. That's what we're asking. (laughs) My 14 disciples, will you you write letters with me? Will you you get behind me? Now, he said he's going to write a letter to his congresswoman, Nicole Maliotakis. He talks to her every day. What does he need to write her a letter? We need to see this trial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how close are they? Like... That, that, but that tells you all you need to know. They're not really friends. If, if, she, if, if, she goes into the basement and plays ping pong with him. Oh, well, he got to write a letter if he want to talk to us. Oh, my God. He just loves to write letters. I'm going to write a letter. You know what? I'm writing a letter. <laughs> oh, man. We need to see this trial. <laughs> I have to know. I have to see. He's serious when he writes a letter. I, oh. I have to see. Yeah. Oh, I just got a letter from Frank Morano. This must be serious. Yeah. It got it got the the the, the, stamp, the stamp thing on the end of it too, like in like in olden times, <laughs> like King King George the Third. It's hermetically sealed. Yeah, he got his own seal. The seal. The seal of Morano. Get, get the lighter and heats it up. <laughs> when he finishes the letter, that's the last. That's the last part. <laughs> Ugh. You know he's serious. He's writing a letter, and he hands it. And he hands it to the messenger. Oh, Run quick, God. swiftly, hop on your horse. <laughs> we when, need <laughs> to see this trial. Move with great haste. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> The fate of the world depends on this. <laughs> Move with quick haste. Yes, yes, Mr. Morado. <laughs> I'm going to write my congresswoman, but she's coming over this afternoon to play ping pong. Oh, God. And then he's got this Napoleonic complex. You know, I'm short. I am uh, maybe about 5'7 or 5'8. And um, my dad is very tall. He was over six foot two. He's a little shorter now. But he was six foot two, and my brothers are all tall. And my wife's father was also six two. So hopefully he'll take after his grandfather's well, in terms of height. That's a crazy family picture. <laughs> are we sure that Carmine is his father? What? I mean, his father <laughs> is uh, like right out of central casting. He's a stellar athlete. He's everything that Frank isn't. Are we sure that Carmine is his father? Carmine could already high-five him. I know that. How, hey. about, how about today, Father's Day, we do a DNA test, right? What? DNA. Hey, Frank is 5'7", standing on the kitchen table. Frank, you, Frank, you, why don't you just say 5'10", then? Why, like, why, if you're going to lie up, lie, you know, round it off to 5'10", man. And what's Carmine going to think? I'm going to be a, a midget? Yeah. A little shorty short? He's worried. What? Carmine's worried watching the NBA Finals. What? Carmine watching the NBA Finals. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then, of course, (laughs) everything always comes back. 
to William Shatner. Warren in upstate New York. Hello, Warren. Thank you for taking my call. No, I do not believe that they should be allowed, nor any other from any other country, be allowed to uh, buy real estate in our country. I don't agree with that. Uh, for instance, William Shatner oh, is not an American citizen. Yeah. Should he be prohibited from buying someone's house for $5 wow. million that wants to sell it to him? I don't think so. Now, he, I'm sure, has a non-tourist visa card, so even if he was from... Not visa card, but a non-tourist visa. So even if he was Chinese and looking to buy property in Florida, this law wouldn't affect him. But I, I think China is a special case. See, he he shattered me here. Like that's why I had to put. He shat, This is a great shat. He's getting real good. <laughs> like they were talking about foreigners being able to buy land, and somehow he pulled Shatner out of this one. That that was way left field. Well. uh we know that Frank Morano's prowess is not in being able to interpret rappers, but he tries. Cause ever since I left the city, you started this is Drake, right, Drake? <laughs> Drake, um, call me on the cell phone. That's what's called Hotline Bling. It's one of those songs you hear it. And, it's one of those songs. It's one of those songs you hear it 10 million times and we still don't know them. This is just only the, he's only the biggest rapper on the planet, Frank. Don't feel bad. If we tried that. Yeah, yeah. Since I left the city, you this is Drake, right, Drake? Drake, um, call me on the cell phone. Where'd you get that name? This is call me on the, he just said the first four words he heard. Oh, God. And, and, but he, he had the conversation on the air with, with Blaze. This is Drake, right? <laughs> it, it, it's called Call Me on the Cell Phone? No, it's called Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling? Uh, <laughs> My uh, man Frank, man. Man, it's too much. And then he gets a call from a guy in Milwaukee about road rage. Bob is calling from Milwaukee, one of the states that is leading the surge in road rage shootings. Bob, you have not participated in any of these road rage shootings, I hope. Just a couple feet wider. They just drive me so crazy. I can't stand it. Well, so uh, tell me what you're seeing. What, what are you seeing out there? All, all these crazy people. It just it just drives me nuts. You just, you got to the point where you have to stay strapped or you get clapped. Well, so you carry a gun with you in the car? You have to. The walking is crazy out here. These streets are nuts. What? Uh, let me tell you something, Frank. This is not your show. Like, this is not the show you put on. You no, are way no. more fluffy and uh, Sesame Streety. If you having a conversation and the, and the phrase, you have to be strapped or you get clapped, comes up, hang up the phone and call the authorities <laughs> or call Curtis. Exactly. You, you out of your depth here. He had no idea what that guy from Milwaukee was talking about. What are you doing, Frank? You're not Geraldo. And then the guy, <coughs> the guy in Milwaukee continues to tell his story. Have you had to take your gun out and brandish it in a road rage incident at all? I'm not going to speak on that. All right. <laughs> okay, Bob, I'll, I'll take yeah. that a yes. Yes, I did. I, I, have, I have. So what happened? What, <laughs> proceed, what preceded you to need to show off your gun to in, to back the other guy off? Look, I, I, I have, I've had people try to run me straight off the road, straight off the road, high beams on. I felt like I was... My life was being threatened, so I had to show up and show out. Oh, man. Show up. Another another red flag phrase for you to hang up, Fred. Show up. You had to show up and show out. Get, <laughs> get strapped or get clapped.
And uh, Frank, Frank has no idea what the guy He said. don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank is exhilarated and scared. I'm like, Frank, hang up. That's right. This guy, no, he's just spitting out felonies. No, <laughs> no, he wouldn't hang up because the guy talked about an act of insurance fraud. I was driving five, about five miles over the speed limit, <laughs> and somebody came up behind me with the high beams on. They didn't want to let off, and I brake checked them. I brake checked them so hard they ran to the back of me, and I got paid. <laughs> so you put on your brakes so that they collided with you. Yes, I did. I jumped out the car. I was going to fight. Uh-oh. There was a bunch of females. Is, well, but, like, oh, a, mur- a murder here? Did the, <laughs> did the women apologize or anything? Hell no. <laughs> I called the police on them. I was so mad. And so what did I they say? I and called the cops on them. They want to say nothing. Just want to stand there and be ignorant. My goodness. Boy, uh, I, uh, I'm crossing Wisconsin right off of my state to visit and drive in, Bob. Thank you for being so candid. Oh, God. <laughs> my goodness. Oh, me, oh, my. I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Frankie Fez, man. Frankie's getting him to got to explain all the felonies on the air. Frankie Fez, man. And he should have avoided that, just like he should have avoided discussing serial killings. One of the things that we see with um, serial killers and people like that, not that I'm an expert criminal profiler. We understand. Is that when you tend to get in the habit of killing people, you tend to keep killing them until something else happens. Listen to this. Listen to the the, the criminal mind of the century here. Wow. This guy is out of his, like, he he missed his calling. He might, he could have been the greatest detective of all time. A killer starts killing and he keeps killing until something stops him. Wow. Wow. That is very cogent. Man, that is... uh, Oh, you opened my eyes, Frank. I would have never guessed that. That is a man who has studied criminology. There's no doubt about it. Studied criminology. Philosophy. With the best minds. With the best criminal minds that the FBI has to offer. Don't mess with with Frank Morano. Don't mess with Colombo. Colombo Morano. Yeah, the next thing going to be FBI training headquarters for Frank. To FBI, CIA. Oh, yeah, that's right. CIA, they banging down his door. And then, of course, it always gets back to radio and the Hall of Fame for Mark Simone, his adversary. Bill in Rockland County. Hello, Bill. Hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm well, thanks. Nice. I thought I heard you say that Mark Simone does not belong in the Radio Hall of Fame. Well, how do you justify that? I mean, the guy's been a standout broadcaster in New York. So your question is, how do I justify it? First of all, I didn't say that. What I said was I was disappointed that Curtis didn't even make the ballot, and I considered it sort of a double slap in the face that uh, Mark Simone uh, did. They don't even put Curtis on the ballot, and they put Simone on the ballot. It was almost as if whoever is in charge of the National Radio Hall of Fame is kind of laughing at me over this uh, whole situation. Yeah, well, yeah. do me a solid. Uh, don't don't help me, Frank. Yeah. Writing letters. Yeah, help me, help me by don't helping me. Yeah, 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 yeah Frank. Well, we got to write letters. Uh, You're not thought highly of there or, or around around there, Frank. Ooh, I can't believe that. And just as we thought that he was helping me, <laughs> he smacked me down. So I don't know what's going on. You can't tell me that this brand new phone, which cost me a fortune, is already not taking a charge. Can't be. So I think I have another charger in um, my locker here. If it hasn't been pilfered by the beret-clad Avenger, I will uh, see if that works. Man, 
He's he's blaming you for crimes. He's not even sure what committed yet, Curtis. The beret-clad Avenger. The beret-clad Avenger. Wow, what a shot in the gonads. But even that's kind of corny. A little corny, little little you know Elizabethan shot. Oh, totally. That's why I got to do the bird on that one. That's for sure. <laughs> It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. History of Talk Radio, Frank Morano. In fact, he was moaning and groaning about Mayor Suarez, Republican of Miami, throwing his hat into the ring to run for the presidency of the United States. I can really never tell when a guy is handsome or not. I look at these pictures of Mayor Francis Suarez, and he looks to me like just any ordinary average, average guy. But he is one of these guys, and there's a bunch of guys like this. He's one of these guys that everyone goes on and on, especially women, but not not just women. They go on and on about how handsome he is, how handsome he is. Almost every story <laughs> about this guy's presidential campaign wow. mentions that he's handsome. He's, okay, we get it. We get jealous. it. You think he's handsome. Everybody thinks he's handsome. Man, Frank. Man. What's Could he be any more jealous? Yeah, you don't. I mean, shoot, you don't mind telling Ken if he's handsome every five minutes. That's for sure. And then uh, he comments on that, just as you had mentioned. So I find myself, and this is very petty on my part, because there's never been a single news i a news story uh, written about me ever that that uh, refers to me as handsome. Uh. I find myself kind of rooting against this guy now because the whole world thinks he's handsome. I figured this guy's had enough of a enough of a charmed life. Man, right? uh, his whole life with everybody telling him he's handsome. Do we really need him to be president now on top of that? No. No. No, no. I'm wow. You, he got a book. He's going to write a book called Memoirs of a Small Petty Man. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, then naturally, the styling and profiling motto comes up in conversation. Ken. Ellen uh, just sent me an SMS text message, and if you want access to SMS text message me, you can do so uh, by uh, either paying $4,000 a year to me, uh, find me on Venmo, uh, or um, you can just text message me oh, at 8168 Morano. Ellen asked a very ends. good question. The burning question is of uh, Mayor Francis Suarez. Is he as handsome as Kenneth? I don't know. I just did a Google search for Francis Suarez and the word handsome. 622,000 results come up that include both of those terms. It's too much. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm telling you. It just doesn't make any sense. Awake in the night. Guiding light. Shining bright. Join me on this radio flight. Oh, God. (laughs) Makes me want to soil myself and take a hot shower. It's like the worst that I've ever heard. That's your guy. 
That shit got told. It's time to pull him to the side, Curtis. <laughs> say, look, Frank. truly, the Frankster. Hey, Frank, <laughs> let, 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 me, let, let me talk to you over here in, 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 with, with nobody else. It's just me and you. God, he actually sang that song? That was horrible. Oh, yeah. That was, oh, my God. That, that should get him knocked off the air. Anyway, up next, he's the comeback kid. Jim McGreevy wants to run for office. Say it ain't so. Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Comeback. Hours ago, our owner and operator, great talk show in his own right, John Katsimatidis. Remember, he's got his uh, guests coming up between 8 and 10. They're always newsmakers. Usually my husband-in-law, former Governor David Patterson. But speaking of governors, he's thrown him a lifeline before John Katsimatidis. And it appears that, yes, former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreedy. Is making a comeback, or at least toying with a political comeback with a run for mayor of Jersey City. It's going to be like musical chairs. Quote, there's an opportunity, perhaps, to look at this as a last final act, if you will. Wow, a last final act. Boy, that's sort of fatalistic on the part of McGreedy. Adding that he was being urged to do it by his friend, Union City Mayor Brian P. Stack and is giving the matter serious consideration. Current Jersey City Mayor Stephen Fulop, graduate of Goldmine Sachs, aren't they all? The moment you walk in their office, they sell you stock, shake your hand, and then the moment you walk out, they short you so they get you coming and going any which way. He's led uh, Jersey City for 10 years. And announced in April that he is running for governor to succeed. Term limited, half in the bag, always smashed. Phil Murphy, 
in 2025 so that Phil can go back to his $38 million palazzia in Italy where he spends like half his time in the uh, gubernatorial year. Interesting, Magritte said his campaign would focus on quality of life issues in the state's second largest city. Once a popular Democrat, Magritte resigned the Garden State's top job in 2004 after a secret extramarital affair with a man who then Magritte aide said tried to blackmail him for up to $5 million. You know who that was? The Israeli boyfriend of Magritte at that time, Mel Gumana. Golan Sapel. Completely unqualified to be in that position. Anyway, this is the news of the day. <clears throat> As brought to you by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, who texted uh, this to me about two hours ago. Would you like to see former governor of New Jersey, Jim Magritte? Uh, I'm resigning because I'm a gay man. At least that's what he said, but that wasn't the rationale. There was actually the corruption of putting his beak in the trough that caused him to have to resign, knowing that the full weight of investigations were going to come down on him and smash him to smithereens. But remember, it's Jim McGreedy who is best remembered for coming out to that onto that stage and saying, I am a gay American. McGreedy, a married father of two, told a stunned news conference in August of 2004, I engaged in an adult consensual affair with another man which violates my bonds of matrimony. The news came in advance of a planned lawsuit by Golan Sapel, an Israeli political consultant who accused Jim McGreedy of sexual harassment. Sapel dropped the suit after McGreedy's resignation. McGreedy and Dina Matos divorced in 2008. That was his wife, if I remember correctly, from the Ironbound section. She was Portuguese. Since leaving office, McGreedy received a divinity degree at General Theological Seminary in New York City and spent several years as executive director of Jersey City's employment and training program and has from time to time been a guest of John Katsimatidis in his five o'clock roundtable discussion. Again, the news of the day is it looks like Jim McGreedy, former governor of New Jersey, who crashed and burned years ago, has resurrected himself. It's an epiphany. He has said that he wants to replace Steve Fulop, who wants to replace uh, half in the bag Murphy, whose term limited out as governor of the state of New Jersey. My choice is Citarelli the Republican to run and this time beat, uh, in this particular case, uh, Steve Fulop. His only claim to fame is that he is, in fact, a graduate of Goldmine Sachs, like so many others in the past. Uh, John Corzine, a mistake to put him and elevate him as mayor. And then, obviously, you don't want to compound that mistake by putting Kelly in there. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oof. Anywhere, numbers 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But think of it, the life and times of Jim McGreedy. Oh, his uh, Medici was Lesniak, state senator. 
state senator who uh, oftentimes was able to go out there and get wine dined in pocket line by gambling interests. Remember, it was state senator Lesniak who led the effort to get legal gambling on sports gambling. He was joined by El Jefe, Shamu, Chris Christie, joined in an effort to get legal, organized sports gambling, State Senator Lesniak, who at one time was the Grand Marshal of the annual Polish-American Day Parade, uh, and obviously has worn his uh, Polish heritage well, well known. But uh, he's also made a comeback of sorts. So this is almost like a one-two punch. Because Lesniak used to do a lot of the fundraising for Jim uh, McGreedy and sort of mentored him uh, up the uh, scale. Trying to think of the many positions. I know that Jim McGreedy was in the assembly in Trenton. I know that he was the mayor of uh, Woodbridge Township. That was not far from the Rio Diner. But the King of Talk Radio, Bob Grant, did many, many a broadcast in which uh, at times he spoke about Jim McGreedy, and not in a very fond way. I believe that um, he ran one time for for the governorship against Christine Todd Whitless, the failed Republican governor of New Jersey, who was prompted up by Bob Grant, the King of Talk Radio, to run against Jim Florio, Florio Free in 93. That was the phrase coined by by, uh, Bob Grant. Knocked him right out of the box. Christine Todd Whitless became the governor, and she was witless every step of the way until eventually she became EPA chiefess at the time uh, of the attack in 9-11 and assured everyone, all the rescuers, all the folks who were risking uh, life and limb to go into that pile, which was the world's largest crematorium to do work to extricate bodies or at least to get information, DNA or other particulae that could uh, formally be utilized to uh, approach the families uh, after an autopsy or whatever was left of the body to convince them that this was in their best interest, that uh, they just go back to living their normal life. It's not exactly what could be transpiring uh, in real life. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me see if I can remember. Some of the trials and tribulations of the man who announced that he would remove himself from office because he was a gay American. Jim McGreedy. He never sort of confessed at that point to the fact that he had taken this Israeli guy on that he was having an affair with. Golan Sapel, elevate him to become the head of uh, Homeland Security in the state of New Jersey. That's when all the governors were clamoring that they had to have their own, uh, you know, their own czar, their own uh, head, uh, the state of uh, emergency and in charge, should all hell break loose. And Golan Sapel was sort of like self-appointed. He wanted uh, Jim McGreedy to recognize him as such. And that's where Jim McGreedy was doing the lobbying, as I had mentioned, from the other church that was so far away, right smack in the heart of uh, New Jersey. Uh, I believe it was um, hmm, right outside of Woodbridge. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And it's clear he's launching a comeback of some type. 
Uh, he'll probably be here at WABC from time to time doing his explanations of all that has gone wrong in Jersey because they have not coalesced around Citarelli. They're all jockeying for position. They want someone else to uh, run for uh, for the, the uh, gubernatorial race. And it will be really interesting now. Uh, it sort of sets up uh, the hot tub debate that I've had with Noam Layden, who himself is from Jersey City, lives in the Heights, and I've accused him of being in a hot tub with the uh, uh, mayor of uh, Jersey City, who's going to go on and said that he's going to gather the signatures necessary to be able to challenge whoever else is running in the Republican primary. That would be uh, Steve Fulop, uh, but he's going to need somebody who is an expert in buildings, uh, converting buildings, obviously flipping them in the interest of New Jersey that it's going to need a lot of space if they intend on graduating a large class of those police officers who are not identifiable yet because they don't yet have the police uniform. But at 9 a.m., it is the perfect opportunity in which uh, some of the whippersnappers can go. I'll give you a little guidance later on. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jake, uh, who's calling from L.A. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jake. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Uh, I got trivia for you. Uh, 29 years ago, this date, I was watching the NBA Finals game on TV until it was interrupted with the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase out on the I-5 going north back to L.A. He was leaving San Diego after visiting uh, uh, the grave or something like that. What two teams were playing in that finals? Ah, well, that was uh, our beloved New York Knicks here from Madison Square Garden and obviously uh, the Houston Rockets. Nice. But we we've earlier discussed that at length. In fact, also talking about the impact that the coaches had had on the team. You know, you had uh, Riley uh, for the Mets, and you had uh, that young guy who's uh, lit up the uh, middle-class MBA, ML, uh, the NBA uh, l- world. Uh, so uh, it was John Starks. In that final game, remember, I think he shot like 19 shots for the Knicks. He missed all 19. There was uh, Elijah well, Wan. They never, they never got back to the game. They just left to chase them the whole time. Yep, yep. That was, uh, it was a polarizing time, too, because it definitely once again pitted black versus white. Oh, it sure did. People were hanging over the uh, freeway uh, uh Bridges with signs. I don't know how they made them so quickly, but uh, it just uh, amazing how many people were out on the streets trying to watch it on the highway. Well, uh, I will tell you that uh, later on, I'll do a little in-depth diving into uh, the OJ case, compare it to some of the cases today. Uh, When I return, uh, I'll be on from 9 to 11 and then finish the cycle of WABC, which on the weekends means always broadcasting Curtis, that is the acronym, and finish up with the Animal Welfare Hour. And, oh, boy, do we have a doozy for you. Uh, Breweries are now using feral cats to eliminate their rat problems. Feral cats. Breweries are using that. 
And that's something that both I and my wife Nancy have advocated for quite some time. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Greedy is launching a political comeback as he had fallen into the the fulcrum, the vortex of political defeat. And from the ashes, he intends to rise like the phoenix. And this is a hop, skip, and a jump. Steve Fulop leaves the mayoralty of Jersey City and now makes a run for the Democratic nomination to become the next governor of the state of New Jersey, replacing half in the bag, smashed, as he always is, Murphy, who then will retire to his $38 million mansion in Italy. And that opens up an opportunity in Jersey City, and Jim McGreedy has said he's interested. What I would do is uh, put a call out to my friend Brett Shunler, who's been the mayor there before, and say, hey, can't let Jim McGreedy become the mayor of uh, Jersey City. It's in the most corrupt county in America, Hudson County, which is run by Bobby Menendez. That's right. The most crooked of all crooked U.S. senators in the cloakroom up in Washington. But they're talking about indicting him again on a wide variety of subjects unrelated to the first indictment in the Eastern District in Brooklyn. Well, that one will be continued. But there are some heroes, and let us recognize that because although Jim McGreedy is tainted, he was born in Jersey City, was the son of his mother, Veronica, a nurse, and Jack McGreedy, who I had met on two occasions, who was a Marine drill instructor. He served in both World War II and the Korean War, and his uh, family was Irish Catholic. He grew up in nearby Carteret. There he attended St. Joseph Elementary School and St. John's High School in Metuchen. 
And then he attended the uh, University of, uh, I guess you could call it, uh, of uh, Colorado Hard Knocks. <laughs> but Jim McGreedy's father definitely was um, a Marine, very proud Marine, Jack McGreedy, uh, drill instructor, served in both World War II and the Korean War. And I could easily see him standing side by side with his son again, who he you looked at those old films, he adored his son. He was crushed when his son had left office, knowing that any moment a personal lawsuit would be dropped on his head by Golan Sapel, unprepared, not at all qualified to have become the czar of Homeland Security for the state of New Jersey. But he just didn't care. Nope, he just didn't care. But there is another hero out there. He's across the Hudson River. He was born and raised on the Upper East Side. He's now 83 years old, and he's still in the broadcast booth. And last week, valiantly, he was high in the sky at the old Fenway Park doing a Yankee broadcast for the fans. It was John Sterling. And this set of circumstances befell him in the booth that is high in the sky in uh, Fenway Park. At the belt. And now the 3-2 swung on. A pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. He did not miss a beat. Continued on with the broadcast. Which is the thing to do. The pitch to Stanton. There goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. That is God out of the ballpark. A Stantonian home run. Now, wh- what, did, what did I do wrong? What did I see wrong? He's at first base. <laughs> One of those Phil Rizzuto infield uh, fly rule pop-up. Phil used to say, holy cow, it's out of here. Whoa, it's an infield fly rule pop-up. And then he'd be on his way on the uh, Jersey Turnpike out of there after the seventh inning stretch telling Cora, I'm on my way home to Hillside, on my way home to Hillside, which is uh, bordered by Newark and Elizabeth. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty. The big story of the country is stand your ground. Apparently, north of the Mason-Dixon line, there are many pieces of legislation that have now been uh, put into the state state uh, elected officials' uh, ballywick, challenging the right to make his citizens arrest, challenging the right to physically, as a human being, put your hands on an individual and hold them until the police arrive. Things that were valued and although they weren't taught, accepted because they were embedded into our penal codes through the through the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta were obviously brought to us by the UK, uh, but our penal codes were crafted and they did include the right of citizens to detain a suspect who had committed a crime. That's something they're trying to wipe out now trying to actually uh, create atmosphere where you shouldn't trust citizens. Well, I would say the reverse of that. I trust the citizens and not less necessarily the uniformed services. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But there is the story of the hero, U.S. Marine, who is still, still under severe criticism from many of those same liberals and progressives. It's uh, uh, actually he uh, graduated uh, as a police, police, excuse me, a uh, sergeant in the United States uh, Marine Corps. He was discharged. He had a stellar record. There's nothing they've been able to surface and dig up within the period of time when he was last very active. He had a headlock on uh, Jordan Neely, who was having a psychotic episode. Two other good Samaritans assisted and aided and abetted him in that process. And that's when they went about suggesting... uh, resource change, and life-motivating changes that could easily be done. But just know that our numbers are 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here's Penny. Here's uh, the Sergeant USMC hero, Penny, disputing the fact that the mass media had put out information that was bogus he said it was in 15 minutes that he was languishing on the floor, holding uh, Jordan Neely until the police arrived. It was just a few minutes. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Neely for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. So the whole interaction less, lasted less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, you can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest, indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this is about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers, a lot of whom were people of color. The man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was was a person of color. And then a few days after the incident, I, I read in the papers that uh, a woman of color came out and called me a hero. What, I don't believe that I'm, I'm a hero, but uh, she was one of those people that I was trying to protect. When we return, someone who thought that she was a hero in the transgender community has been humbled and decided to publicly apologize to the President of the United States, Madam First Lady uh, Jill Biden, and to all of you. And you may be wondering, who is that? Is that Dylan Mulvaney? No, no, no. She's actually competing with Dylan Mulvaney now because she is a transgender influencer who was welcomed by the White House to attend attend, uh, in the ceremony outside recognizing uh, Pride uh, Month. But boy, she established her own rep as she decided to take off her top not wear anything at all, and celebrate with those who had worked with her in the beginning in a kind of freaky-deaky way. I'll explain more of that uh, when we return. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Don't come around no more to the White House. No, that transgender is not welcome by Joe and Jill Biden. After removing her top, doing the jiggle wiggle of her mammary glands, she is persona non grata. But what did she do? She decided to take to her Instagram page, apologize profusely, beseech the president and Madam First Lady to read, well, to forgive her. Right away, there was a sea of condemnation that was awaiting her. In fact, there was one classic uh, segment that was thrust out there in social networking that came from the movie Tootsie. Remember Dustin Hoffman acting like a woman? I don't know if he had his three-piece set uh, at that point or if it had been surgically removed for the purpose of him uh, acting the part. But this was one of the classic lines that was mentioned about how uh, roosters do not lay eggs. You know, I can remember years ago there was none of this woman was what a man was. You just were what you were. (laughs) And now they have all this stuff about how much you should be like the other sex so you can be all more the same. I'm sorry, but we're just not, you know? Right. Not on a farm, anyway. Bulls are bulls, and roosters don't try to lay eggs. Never. Right? Right? Bulls are bulls, and roosters don't try to lay eggs. Well, that was done over 20 years ago in the movie Tootsie, starring Dustin Hoffman. But, oh boy, have times changed. And uh, there is now a transgender influencer who is blowing up Instagram, more so than Dylan Mulvaney, who crashed and burned when she received the free the free cans of Budweiser Light that had her picture on it that they were hoping she would actually talk about in video form and encourage her many followers, 10 million of them, to drink Budweiser Light. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. And then immediately she clashed. And she left uh, in a state that was not good for the future. But now she's back. And listen to what she had to say this morning. Today, I need to apologize. Earlier this month, I was invited by the White House to attend a pride celebration with both President Biden and Dr. Biden. I, alongside other powerful voices in the queer and trans communities, were invited to be represented, seen, and heard in unique and a very special way. Hmm. Is that acceptable there, uh... Broadway Billy, well, for some. But then she started getting into this uh, abracadabra alphabet soup way of presenting herself. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans violence and legislation runs rampant across our country, I was proud to be invited to speak at the National Press Club during my trip to Washington, D.C. Wait a second. I want to hear just the alphabet... Uh, soup part of her initial presentation, which was supposed to be an apology. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans. What the hell is that? Is there anybody out there who has peeled away the layers, whether it's an onion or some other 
domestic fruit. Can please give us a heads up on what that terminology means. As anti-2S LGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then an explanation of what pure trans joy is. In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy, I decided to do something unbecoming of a guest of the president at the White House lawn celebration. Mm. And what, pray tell, was that? More so than ever before, I have learned how powerful and just how impactful my actions are and how impactful it is when we share our stories and experiences and how we do so with the world. Oh, wow. She's really on a roll, isn't she? I especially want to apologize to my black trans brothers and siblings, especially transgender women who are black, because I understand that you all are constantly at a disproportionate level impacted by the actions of others and especially by anti-trans violence. Well, I I wouldn't go that far, but um, go ahead with your train of thought. I would also like to apologize to my own community, the 2S LGBTQPIA plus community. What? What did she say? I mean, come on, Broadway Billy. I understand oh, an acronym, not one acronym of that uh, torrent of acronyms she spewed like a Gatling gun. I would also like to apologize to my own community, the 2S LGBTQPIA plus community. <laughs> oh, Madonna, my. What a piece of work. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. And then she continued uh, creating that alphabet soup. I also feel energized to educate and articulate to others the importance and power of trans joy in a more effective way. You see that trans joy? I noticed uh, Broadway Bill Lee you've been ensconced a little bit. You've uh, a little flirtatious move on her words uh, in your direction to the point where you're watching her video over and over again. Why is that, Broadway Bill Lee, huh? <sighs> and then, oh man, here she goes. <sighs> the alphabet trying to figure out what the hell she's talking about. Please respect mine, my family's, my friends, and my loved one's privacy during this time. Wait a second, your privacy, your privacy? You get on the front lawn of the White House, you jiggle and wiggle your uh, mammary glands around, and now you want privacy and privacy? You think it's a little too late? 2S LGBTQPIA plus 2S LGBTQPIA plus 2S LGBTQPIA plus 2S LGBTQPIA QPIA LGBTQ Do all be very special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, onions, sesame seeds, but It's exactly the way I feel. What the hell was she talking about? 2S LGBTQPIA plus Look, I did not give her a quaalude. I mean, that's generally what a quaalude queen sounds like. And she's been under the influence. Might I hear that one more time, uh, Broadway Billy? 2S LGBTQPIA+. <laughs> not leaving me much to work with.
2s lgbtqpia plus 2s lgbtqpia plus 2s lgbtqpia plus 2s lgbtqpia qpia lgbtq do all be patty special sauce lettuce cheese pickles onions honey sesame seeds but uh our number is 1-800-848-9222 oh wait a second then let's go right to the phones oh i see well what a Indeed, a pleasure this is, Broadway Bill Lee, that you're giving me extra time without all that clutter. Let's go to Russ in White Plains. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russ. Hey, Curtis. Uh, it sounds like that person has a borderline personality disorder. Did you notice that at the Stonewall Park down there on Christopher Street that there was a uh, – they, they removed trans flags. Somebody vandalized it by removing trans flags but not the rainbow flags. Did you know, Did you hear about that? Yes, yeah, and uh, there's probably going to be more of that leading up to next week's uh, parade uh, and the uh, sort of the end of the month of celebrating Pride because uh, it just seems, you know, in the media, they showcase some flag being stolen or vandalized or broken, and then it's a copycat effect. Right, and and the L.A. Dodgers are having a huge protest against this, uh, you know, pornography that they were putting on i mean blm and the trans this is an ideological mask that they're putting on to oppress the rest of us but i'd like to get to the penny story you know you said something about the the, the changing story the changing story i noticed that penny in his four video episodes that he did on the grand jury day he says that neely said i'm going to kill you instead of i'm going to kill an mfer so that started changing. And then they talk about how Penny helped put Neely in a recovery position. If you look at the video, you can see that Penny just grabs Neely's legs, swings him out of the way so he can reach under the subway seat to get his baseball cap. That's the truth. And that's why I know when they start lying all the time that they've got a real problem. And I want to ask you, how come the subway stabber in Brooklyn had friends and family all over the place when he was in court, but Penny has no one showing up for him? Well, remember, he's very briefly made a court appearance. Uh, He's back in court on July 17th. So on the day that he was arrested on the orders of Alvin Bragg, he was brought to the 5th Precinct in Chinatown. Then he was brought immediately for his uh, preliminary arraignment in which he was booked on uh, uh, second-degree manslaughter and then released uh, once uh, bail was posted. I think you left out 10 days there where we didn't know who he was and he was evading identification, Curtis. But that's okay. No problem. Listen, it'll be interesting to see who shows up for him. I just don't think that he has that much success. And, you know, I wonder, when you mentioned the McBurney YMCA, he was on his way to the McBurney YMCA with a nose ring. I mean, that tells me something. Maybe it doesn't tell you that, but it tells me. And I want to ask, you know, these political lawyers that he has, because you know them because they ran with you. These political lawyers were Penny's first mistake. That's why he had nobody. His father's absent. Nobody's looking out for him. These lawyers are juicing that Give, Send, Go fund by issuing promotional videos on the day of the grand jury. At the very least, they're trying to exert improper influence on the grand jury. These lawyers are going to drag it out so they can make money, so they can do an appeal, and Penny will end up serving more time. A plea agreement is out of the question. So, Curtis, reconsider what you're doing when you call this guy a hero. Only a coward strangles a weaker person okay you know that we will we will soon see it resolved in criminal court i find it incredibly impossible to believe that they're going to be 12 jurors his peers black and white male and female 
who are going to be able to find him guilty of second-degree manslaughter, not after the appearances that he made in those videos that were released. I just, I can't see that happening. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Giuseppe calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, hey, Curtis. Uh, I think I read this in the Inquirer, actually, at the time. But uh, McGreevy's wife, they had a picture of the boyfriend, him and her, on the boardwalk. So she apparently, according to the article, knew about this situation with with, uh, McGreevy and the boyfriend at the time. And apparently it blew up. And she didn't expect that. So what do you think of that, that she maybe subsequently cried foul, went on the talk shows and saying what a jerk this guy was? But if she knew, shouldn't she have just cut ties with him and uh, when this thing blew up and just forgotten about it? Uh, Well, number one, the second wife, he was married twice. So the second wife uh, was Portuguese. She came from the Ironbound section of Newark. Um, I don't know how much she knew about Golan Sapel or his other uh, uh, rendezvous with men. You know, what he was known for doing when he was governor, Jim McGreedy, is he would order his uh, state troopers driving him around in the SUV to stop at the Vince Lombardi rest stop along the New Jersey Turnpike. And that's the one that's between the George Washington Bridge uh uh, and then as you go south, uh, passing uh, the uh, Newark Airport, uh, he would actually tell the troopers, wait out there, I'm going in to use the facilities. And they would uh, urge him, please, Governor, do not go into that men's room on your own. He said, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I can handle it. And uh, he would go into those stalls. Because it's a very large uh, men's room, as it is females' uh, room at that rest stop. And he would engage in sexual activity with strangers. This is the governor of the state of New Jersey. That's why they wanted to rename the Vince Lombardi rest stop. They wanted to name the uh, bathroom there, the bathroom facility, the Jim McGreedy uh, men's room. Uh, and then there was a time he was on the boardwalk. Uh, apparently, he was with his paramour, a male unbeknownst to his wife at that time, and he fell down. And uh, I think either he broke his leg or his paramour, the male, broke his leg. And then the police had to uh, jettison him out of there. They had to bring in a medevac uh, and, I believe, take him out in a helicopter, which flew to uh, a hospital so that the uh, damage could be repaired. So he was always on the go. He was always on the make. Uh, He was very, very much... uh, a guy who uh, could not control his libido, Joe. So he was an, uh, addicted, basically, to that uh, lifestyle, so to speak. Or, uh, But now, which wife was it that was with him at the time this occurred? Was this the second wife? Yes, I believe it was the second wife. Uh, the uh, woman that he was married to was from the Ironbound section uh, next to Newark. Uh, she spoke Portuguese. I believe that was the woman in question uh, who uh, uh, was there on the boardwalk. And is she the one that wrote a book and went on the talk shows talking about him? Is that the one, or was it the first wife? 
No, I think I believe it was the first wife. I, uh, not not on the boardwalk. The boardwalk, I believe it was the second wife, which okay. is exactly who you were talking about, the uh, woman uh, from uh, Ironbound section who uh, spoke uh, Portuguese. But a little, a little confusing. That was Dina Matos. And she ended up divorcing uh, Magritte in 2008. I remember she went on the talk show circuits trying to explain how she was a scorned woman, not really understanding that uh, Jim McGreedy, her husband, had this whole second life that she was unaware of, and p- particularly this uh, relationship that he had had with the Israeli, Golan Sapel, who proved not to at all be qualified to be uh, the Homeland Security czar of Jersey was simply because uh, Jim McGreedy was uh, snacking on him at the time. But the point was, she, according to the article I read, it she was aware of it and was kind of uh, caught in the middle of this. Uh, and maybe, you, you know, was kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. Hmm. Could be. Uh, this this story is, uh, again, taking on a life of its own. Uh, definitely uh, do a more of a deep dive. And by the time I return, 9 o'clock tonight for my last three hours, 9 to 10 and 10 to 11, we generally cover current events like this. I'll also be discussing some other measures that uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegals, because he's not our mayor. We get Ugats, we get Bupkis, uh, we get the bills to house them. Uh, has been caught up in uh, a conversation he had with Project Veritas. I don't, it's amazing that he would get into a conversation with them because he actually implicated himself as feeling that all people have a right to come here. All people uh, were immigrants at one time, and why should it be any different now than it was years ago? That is nothing that he has said to average everyday reporters who cover the mayor's beat, whether they are uh, at one police plaza and they do some commingling, or they're at um, uh, the uh, uh, any one of the other facilities. It's sort of like uh, we're going to try to straighten it out in terms of do as I say, but not as I do. I'm going to be really pinning down the mayor on the brownstone that he owns on Lafayette Avenue, 936. I've been there on many occasions, generally once a week, to check on the two feral cats. Two feral cats who uh, uh, patrol up and down that block in Lafayette. It's got a huge rat problem, uh, needs rat mitigation, something the mayor has not done in his neighbors. Uh, I call him Batman and Robin. But when we've been on the block, we've checked the building. Uh, It's a four-story tall brownstone. Remember, it was Eric Adams who said that he had lived in the basement during his Democratic campaign, uh, which involved ranked choice voting. Proved not to be true. It was actually his son, Jordan, who was living there at the time. He moved out in December. The basement apartment has been empty since and the top floor apartment has been empty. So only two out of the four apartments are empty. Those two are to extended family members. And I think it's incumbent upon the mayor to uh, be the first to donate those two apartments for the use of uh, family, whether they're from Venezuela or they're from other countries. That's to be determined. Uh, the other story we're going to talk about in great length, 
first subject of the Animal Welfare Hour. You don't want to miss it at 11 and 12. It's the most listened to, most uh, contributed to of all the many segments that I do all week long that lends itself to the acronym ABC, meaning uh, always broadcasting Curtis. Major, major story. I have been lampooned. I have been lambasted. I have been criticized. I've been made fun of because I promote the use of feral cats. Feral cats will keep the rats, the mice, and the rodents away. Those are cats that can only live outdoors. They'll never, ever, ever live indoors. So now uh, a number of breweries around the country that are having problems with rat infestation, they've tried the chemicals. They've tried the hidden pesticides that are set off on time release. They've tried everything under the sun, and they've got no results. So breweries are now bringing feral cats onto their property line, knowing that the feral cats will not only be able to control the rat population and the mice population on the inside, which is the desire of the owner and operator of, uh, of uh, the brewery, but that it uh, controls it on the inside, too. So here it is. We have a number of locations that are a perfect example when you use cats properly. Jacob Javits Center, where many a convention is held, had a horrible, horrible rat problem. Huge rats, wharf rats, Norwegian rats. And they were coming up and actually working themselves into the exhibitions. It was bad. And that's when uh, Andrew Evilize Como gave the orders that they could experiment with the feral cats. And there were about four feral cats that actually uh, uh, live in Jacob Javits Center. That's the state facility. And they go out on a regular basis when uh, the exhibitionists are not there, when uh, the center is relatively uh, weak uh, and relatively crime-free when you look at the... the uh, the breakdown of the stats, the Comstat stats. But those uh, those cats, oh, they do the job. So with all the pesticides and with all the millions of dollars spent and the other animals who unfortunately get poisoned in the process and the glue traps and the snap traps, which uh, have little, if any, effect on the rats, they certainly do, uh, do uh, deplete the numbers of mice because mites are not all that uh, bright. Rats are very smart. We're going to come uh, towards you uh, tonight when you're listening with a panoply of situations that deal with rat mitigation. And also more information about, apparently, Jim McCready uh, deciding he's coming out of retirement and he's going to run for the mayoralty of Jersey City. And I'll probably report to you that our own Gnome Layden, who has a home up there in the Heights, right next to Mayor Steve Fulop, who has said he's going to run for governor. And who knows, by the end of the day, all three could be in a hot tub discussing the political fortunes of Steve Fulop. Over my dead body, will you be governor? Uh, Jim McGreedy on his comeback. Over my dead body, will you be mayor of Jersey City? Because I'm getting on the phone right now and calling Brett Shunner and asking him to come out of retirement and to challenge Jim McGreedy one-on-one for the mayoralty of Jersey City.